What's up, guys? This is Roland Buck III. I play Noah Sexton on Chicago Med, and you're listening to Meet Us at Molly's. gonna be all sunshine and roses but i can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride hey shy hearts welcome to episode 172 of meet us at molly's today we are covering the newest episodes because we got new episodes this week thank god Woo-woo. Oh my goodness, yeah, 608, 908, and 808. It really felt like an eternity between episodes. It really did not feel like it was like three weeks. Two, it was two weeks ago, I think, right? Was was it two? I mean, again, it felt like three. When was the last time new episodes aired? I'm looking at my calendar now. (laughs) Like, oh no, I think it's been three, technically. Yeah, it just, it was a lot. But anyway, it feels, yeah, it feels like it's been like since November. (laughs) I feel like things, like, like time on the one Chicago time is different from like normal time. And so we feel things on a different level. It's, it's almost like when we take a week off the pod and like we, you know, it's two weeks. We talk every moment of every day, but still when we don't record, it feels like it's been like a month since we've seen each other. Right. Cause texting is obviously very different than like seeing each other face to face over zoom for three hours. Right. Um, right. So in yeah. one Chicago time, three weeks feels like a year. So, and especially just with like, covid and it just everything feels slower and more dragged out and it just i don't like it it's just yeah time is such a clusterfuck like and it has been for the last year now you know oddly enough is today the 11th today's the 11th right mm-hmm. um one year ago tonight today. yeah today yeah. actually because we're recording on thursday night is when we we hold away to record and the world when we started recording and the world when we finished recording were completely different yeah march 11th was the night it was uh, scary. It was really scary. Yeah, we we hold away. We recorded. We thought everything was fine. We finished, and Tom Hanks had tested positive for COVID, and the NBA had suspended their season. Yep. Yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was the night that Brian and I just kind of sat there looking at each other, and we were like, "This is kind of scary." Yeah. Like shit, and then it was all downhill from there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. March sixteenth will mark one year that I have been out of my office and working from home that's crazy bananas i know crazy i know i haven't seen my coworkers in person in over a year that's wild i know i know i mean i've seen them over zoom but like not right the same. it's not the same not the same. yeah my office haven't seen my office wild i know my my boss's boss he's the one who's still been going into the office just to like check on things he's the only one with access and he a couple of weeks ago he brought it up and i was like what is it like and he said it's like a time capsule in there yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm just yeah. glad I brought my office plant home. <laughs> Man. So, yeah, March 11th. We've come sort of full circle. Sort of. Sort of, I know. Meh. It's been a week, y'all. It has been an ass-whooping of a week. So, just, yeah. 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 And I think this COVID stuff, like this COVID like anniversary air quotes, it's not helping. No, it just makes it more depressing. It really does. It really does. Um, just to see that today and like all the new, like on Twitter and just time hop and everything. I was like, oh, well, that makes me even sadder than I already am because adulting is an ass whooping right now. Yeah. Yeah. So 
don't know. Yay, we're starting on such a positive note. Oh my God. Yay, yeah. us. Okay, so we've got a little bit of news, not a ton. Um, Brian T did a guest column for Deadline this week, and it was fantastic. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I mean, basically, the whole thing is him, you know, just obviously there's been like a surge of racism um, and hate crimes against Asians in the last like year or stuff. Um, and so it's him just reflecting on that and, you know, how Hollywood can help, you know, and play a part in um, just, you know, unpacking all of that. And it's just, it's, it's really interesting read if you haven't read it. Um, it's kind of hard to like paraphrase and pull out just like sections, but if you haven't gotten a chance to read it, it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So. I just, yeah, I I look at the world a year ago and the year now, and I'm just like, how did we get to this point? I know there's a lot that's happened in the last year. In all aspects, not just coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Maybe I need some wine. Like, maybe that's what I need to make me happy tonight. Maybe. Just loosen my ass up. My goodness. Okay, so again, we didn't have a ton of news, um, but you guys know the drill. If you see anything, just send it to us. You guys are really good about that. Um, there is a TV line article with LaRoyce that talks about PD, but we're going to cover that in the PD section. Mm-hmm. So um, patron shout out. You guys, we've got three new patrons. We had three new ones last week too, didn't we? I know. This is really exciting. Every time we get an email and it's like, you have a new patron. And I'm like, oh, yay. <laughs> same, same. I'm like, oh, yay. So new people. Okay. Ren Ray, uh, welcome to the group. We are so glad you're here. I know we talked to you a lot on Twitter, uh, but thank you so much for supporting us. We love you. Megan Rolls. Thank you so much for joining the fam. Um, yeah, we talked to you a lot on Instagram too. So I'm excited that you are joining the fam in other ways. Um, Emily Simmons is like a late breaking ad. She was the newest patron as of Thursday morning. Yeah, so, which I love. I love it too. I love it. Just like last minute sneaking in. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the Facebook group. Um, thank you so much for supporting us, all three of you, from the bottom of our hearts. Like we can't express it enough. So yeah, yes, we love our we love our one Chicago family, and we love all of you guys. So thank you so much. So. If you would like to support the podcast for as little as $2 a month, please head over to the link on our socials. It's our social media, like everywhere. It should be our link, like first thing. But um, yeah, you can head to our Patreon page and see kind of what different tiers there are and what perks are offered and what might suit you the best. Um, Super cool perks. There's the Facebook group. There is the uh, discount code for the merch. There is what I'm I'm blanking right now. Bonus episodes. Bonus episodes, yes. The last one we did, we talked about the cinematic masterpiece that was Taylor Kinney's movie, The Forest. Oh, Lord. Giving me, like, hives. (laughs) What was I thinking? I was thinking about something before, and I was, like, I was, like, in one of those zones where I was doing something and just, like, deep in thought, and I was, like, that would be a really good bonus episode. Oh, you know what I was thinking about? What would be a really good bonus episode? We should do an episode of Sex in the City. Oh, that is so good. That's so good. Yeah, that's really good. I haven't really seen a ton of them to know like what's a like really good, um, fuck, who did uh, Eigenberg play on that show? What's his new character's name? I'm Steve. Steve, 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 Steve. I don't know of a good Steve episode. So if you guys know, let us know and we'll do it on Patreon. Cause that's like- That is such a good idea. Yes, right? Yeah, so good. Did you ever watch that show when it was on or were you too young? 
I was definitely too young, but like, I mean, it's on reruns on like E a lot. So I've seen like episodes here and there, but to say I've like seen the whole thing, no. Yeah, same, same. So yeah, episodes that would be really fun. I think that'd be really fun. It would. Yeah, I love the Sex in the City movie. It's really. I've seen the first one. I think. Yeah, the first one's cute. I don't think I saw the second one. Yeah, I don't know if I have the patience to binge that whole show. But I wonder, too, like, will David Eigenberg show up for this reboot they're doing? And like, oh, shit. Good point. Like, I wonder if they start filming it this summer, like, would he do it or will they have him there? I don't know. I don't know enough about Sex in the City to, like, speculate on this. But oh, good point. Good point. I don't know. Ooh, ooh, I don't know. (laughs) Uh. Anyway, that's like very off topic, but. Well, we're going to get that one on the calendar pretty soon. So maybe we'll do that this for this month. Yeah, we should. We should. That would be awesome. So, uh, okay. So I think it's time to move into the episodes. What about you? Uh, yes, let's do it. Yes. Okay. All right. Starting off with med. This was a good, good episode. This was fun. I like this episode. Did, were you going to say this was fun? I don't know. Fun. Yeah, I was going to say it was fun, but it I was mean, a good episode. Not for Natalie. Well, no, definitely not for Natalie. We'll get there. Okay, actually, wait, I take it back. This was a good episode, but it made me a little, like, uh, midway through, not even midway, like, quarter of the way through it, I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> so. I was going to say it was fun because it was the first time I watched, Mid- well, it's the first time I watched anyone in Chicago with my dad last night. Oh, um, yeah. And so it was fun, like, watching it with him and just, like, hearing his, like, random comments and things throughout um what did he say write that on the internet yeah he kept saying because like I had my computer obviously and he doesn't know I mean he's in his 60s like he doesn't know anything about like Twitter and whatever um I try to explain to him like what we do in live tweeting or whatever he doesn't get it he was like yeah like write that on the internet he's like make sure you talk about this in the podcast and I was like oh my god um write that on the internet will be (laughs) a design on our merch store at some point oh Um, my god yeah it's happening it was just so funny. He was like, yeah, he was like, you don't want to hear my commentary, do you? I was like, yes, yes, I do, actually. Like, actually, yes. Oh that was God. really fun. So we it was should, fun in that way. We should do a bonus episode, like, way down the line where, like, you have your dad watch an episode and I have my mom watch an episode and, like, we just, like, secretly record them without knowing. <laughs> <laughs> Part of me was just, so, like, after we finished, because he only watched bed with me and then he and my brother were talking, whatever. I went in the other room and I was, like, shut the door and I was you know focusing on fire um but after PD and all that stuff was over I was saying you know night to my dad and we were talking or whatever and he was like explaining all the medical stuff to me and like why some of it is not accurate and he was explaining some of it to me and it was just like he's so good at explaining all that stuff and part of me wishes I just like hit a record button to like let him talk about it because he's so good at explaining that stuff yeah, and that's the kind of stuff that if you played it on the pod, I would be like, no, please do play the whole thing and turn it way up because like I'm in. Yeah, I'm and invested. he went on for he, like he went on and on, and he was talking about how we'll get there, but like one of the um, like incisions they made, it should have been one way versus the other because it you can't do it that way with like the blood supply and blah 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 blah. Like he was just going on and on and on, and I was like, oh man, cool. Yeah, like sometimes cool. I get nerd. I'm like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> okay so we start off and ethan bumps into dr verani and they flirt over chess the chemistry is uh, palpable 
I want them to try. I'm not saying, I mean, I don't need it to be necessarily, I guess, like a full on relationship. I don't know what I need out of that yet, but like go on a date, please. Uh, there's chemistry. Ethan needs to loosen up and have some fun. Go Amen. have fun with Verani. Men. Amen. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And flirting over chess is such an Ethan thing to do to be like, oh, don't make that move, you know? It was so cute though. It was. It was. I know. It was really cute. Have you watched The Queen's Gambit on Netflix? No. I, apparently it's supposed to be really good. It's all about chess. Um, yeah, my dad watched it. He said it was excellent. I'm in a place right now where I'm trying to decide what I want to watch next, but it's like I have like all the streaming networks like displayed in front of me and I'm just like, but there's so much to choose from. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know what I want to watch next. I know, I know. I finished Ginny and Georgia in two days and now I'm like, what do I do? what do I do um yeah. our wonderful friend Christine over at the shipping room she lent me her Paramount Plus password so I feel like I should use that streaming platform now but I just there's so much to watch I don't know <laughs> I don't know it's a good okay. problem to have it is a good problem to have P.S. and then we'll get back on track I promise um if you love Scott Porter which like who doesn't um Tamar and Christine over at the shipping room they covered Ginny and Georgia this week which is the new Netflix original um that stars Scott Porter and they had Scott Porter on the podcast and it was amazing it was so fun it was so good so good I feel like now that Scott is friends with them like I'm friends with him because just by virtue <laughs> of like having shared friends I'm like well you're friends with Tamar and Christine and I'm friends with Tamar and Christine so we're friends not the yeah. case not the case i feel like that's uh, also just that atx vibe of like oh well if they're friends it's just that's how atx works and yeah yeah so um once you're done here getting your one chicago fix if we ever get back on topic which we will i promise go check that out oh my god it's so good it's so good anyway okay ethan dr verani they flirt over chess it's adorable okay so Dr. Goodwin or Miss Goodwin comes in and she's like, yeah, but after you collapsed last week, like we were, we agreed you're going to lighten your load. Okay. First off here, it's been a week since his gallbladder surgery and like, he's already back to work. Yep. Because Ethan thinks. Because Ethan thinks. Now I know if it was like laparoscopic, like that really minimizes your recovery time. Yeah, but, a but week... he like messed himself up too by going back to work two hours later. Yep. So I, I imagine his recovery time is a lot longer now, thanks to that. But nope, he's back in a week. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, so Goodwin's like, you need to hire somebody. Like, just go do the thing. Go hire him. I don't care. So she hands him a list and he notices one of the names on there. He's like, oh my God, like, I know this person. We were buddies in the Navy. Enter Dr. Archer. Steven Weber's character. He is here. He has arrived. Why are you shaking your head? Because I don't like him. <laughs> it's only been an episode. I know, but like, doesn't mean I have to like him. Okay, so at the interview, air quotes, um, Archer's like, well, why don't I just start this like today? Get, get a little in, it's totally fine. And he's like, yeah, sure. So he won't shadow Ethan, but Ethan calls him sir. And then he corrects him. He's like, no, just like call me Dean. So the whole storyline with these two, it's just a, it's a power struggle, but not like in a bad way yet. Yet being yet. the keyword. Because, you know, this is now, Ethan was the mentee when they were in the Navy and now it's kind of the other way around. Ethan's in charge, all that stuff. And so, um, weird question, but are you Facebook friends with any of your old teachers? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Like a lot of them. Yeah. 
Same, same. Um, and I, I have like a, a similar problem, not like the problem, the same problem here, but like I, I, it's a similar problem. Like I'll have teachers who will, you know, they, I had a couple of my old teachers who congratulated me when I passed the bar exam or like they'll wish me happy birthday. To, for me, these teachers will always be Mr. Mrs. Blank, always. Uh, yeah. I'm Facebook friends with my old French teacher from ho- from high school. And so she will forever be Madame. It'll never be like Sally, which is her first name. It's always Madame. But uh, my choir teacher from like sixth grade, she wished me happy birthday a couple years ago. And I was like, oh my God, thank you, Miss Young. And she was like, um, it's Mandy. I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, unless my, my relationship changed with them and I got like closer with them, then maybe I would start calling them, you know, Candace or Becky, which are some of my favorite teachers from high school. But like, nah. Never. Unless that happens, it's always still going to be like Ms. O.W. and Ms. Askos. Oh, yeah. Always. Yeah, always. forever. Forever. So um, my French teacher, she like she she had commented on something like last time I traveled to go to something for gymnastics. And yeah, she will forever be Madame. It'll never be Sally. It'll never be, you know, it'll, be, it'll, it'll, it'll always be Madame. Mm-hmm. So just kind of, you know, I, I empathize with Ethan's struggle. Yeah, I do yeah. too. So um so Ethan introduces him to April and you can tell like they have different styles um and it's not I mean that's literally what this episode is for for Ethan is it's just establishing the differences between Archer and Choi mm-hmm. just establishing the differences so April's like oh like the famous Dr. Archer it's nice to meet you and he's like oh my reputation precedes me and she just says she's like it's because of you that Ethan insists on making the bed every morning and then he says why is she making your bed that was such a little like awkward interaction. But also that's like not what that's not what he said. That's not what she said. What do you mean that's not what she didn't oh, say like, that she makes make... the bed? Right. I guess he's saying, like, oh well, why is she in your like why does she know that you make your bed? Oh. Is my is I guess I mean that is what she said in the episode, but like or what what he said in the episode, but I guess that's the point of like yeah like oh like why is she you know yeah it was bad it was awkward it's just really awkward it's just really yeah it was awkward it was definitely awkward I thought that was like a weird thing of April to say like I don't know like I was like why did you have to like I I don't know you could have said like oh he speaks so highly of you blah 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 like not oh you're the reason Ethan makes the bed every morning I didn't didn't find it that awkward I thought it was awkward I don't Mm. know I don't know. So I think given Ethan and April's relationship and where they're at, I thought it was awkward. I mean, anytime that they interact and they're not fighting, it's awkward. I don't know if that's true. Because I don't it's, think it's, we're not used later. to it. I don't think they're seeing later's awkward. I just think given their like current status of like whatever they are dancing around each other, whatever you want to say their current status is, the fact that she made a comment on like like, I don't know. I just thought it was a weird comment. Yeah, that, that whole moment was a little weird. Like, cringe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so they get a patient with pancreatitis and they basically explain it to this guy and April kind of notes it. Just, again, Ethan's trying to explain it in a very, like, digestible way. He's trying, he's trying to explain it in a way that the patient's going to understand. Well, Archer comes on in and he's a little bit more blunt about the whole thing. Just and a little. A lot. <laughs> a lot and april just kind of notes it she just stands in the back and she's like 
all right don't really like archer style noted cool and so the ct scan comes back and it's a classic game of least invasive procedure versus surgery it's the age old this is like chicago meds version of like plinko or something it's like the go-to game um so ethan's like let's do something non-invasive and archer's like but i'm an expert at placing a drain and so ethan defers to archer which i mean okay i don't know so there's complications with the drain and archer suggests a procedure that ethan is not trained in but archer's like i'll walk you through it like we'll talk you through it it'll be totally fine so off to the hybrid or they go uh, Connor's hybrid OR still doing still doing well so mm-hmm. the procedure goes it goes well and, and Archer talks Ethan through it like successfully so that is cool because now Ethan knows something new but April points out she's like listen like the patient wouldn't have had this issue had you stuck with your had you stuck to your guns and gone with the least invasive method yeah yeah and so she says she's like I get that he was your men- your mentor and that's why you trusted his instincts over your own, but he's not your superior anymore. April with the wisdom. I think this is my favorite Ethan and April scene of the whole season. Yeah. I really like this. Like this Ethan and April is what I want more of. Right. And this this is why if they can get rid of all the bullshit that they would work together. Is yeah. because yeah. April sees say- him clearly. Right. I was going to say it reminds me a lot of their relationship like when it's developing in the kind of beginning or oh, the end stages of end of season two like beginning of season three when they're like first getting together um and like why i did like them once upon a time yeah yep yep and so ethan sets archer straight see like this is why if they can stop fighting over stupid stuff they could work ethan and april yeah yeah because uh, a- april saw it clearly yeah I will say, though, after Ethan set Archer straight, my dad was like, he was like, oh, yeah, he's like, those two, he's like, the other guy, talking about Archer, because obviously he doesn't know names, he was like, yeah, he's going to try to take over, and he's like, I can see the tension, that's, (laughs) he's like, he's like, trust me, I know things, I'm like, okay. I know things. I'm like, okay. He's like, see, you didn't think I didn't know this, that, I'm like, okay, dad. (laughs) So Ethan just says, he's like, in this ED, I'm in charge. And Archer's like, oh, yeah, like, totally, I'm sorry, you know. So it's just, we'll see. We It's going to be a power struggle, but we're going to I want Archer, if that means we get more of Ethan's um, background. Because, like, even we got, like, one comment from Archer, like, in the interview scene, where Archer's like, oh, yeah, like, I remember, like, you know, this is taking me back to, like, when I first met you as, like, a scrawny kid, you know, getting ready to join the Navy. Um and that was all we got. But, like, I want Archer if there's more Ethan backstory. Mm-hmm. But I don't like this Archer who's trying to, like, be mean, you know, take over Ethan's job. I mean, if you if you think back to the beginning of the episode when Goodwin is explaining, Goodwin hands him the list and is like, these are doctors who were let go, like, through no fault of their own. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if it's a pride thing with Archer that he feels like he has to try really hard to impress everybody and, you know, show them what, that he's meant to be there. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. It's only been one episode, so that's just pure speculation. Yeah, and I was reading, I, there was some kind of interview with him. I don't remember where it was. Um 
but like I guess he's gonna be around for like seven episodes so I guess through the rest of the season cool so I guess hmm. we'll see um that same article talked about how he's pretty much been in everything yeah like everything he's got like just a, a ridiculous amount of credits and I'm, I'm pulling up his imdb right now i was gonna say i can't think of anything he's been on that i've seen in the top but like i've even seen everything I'm, so. I'm sure i'm sure that's gonna i'm sure we're gonna find stuff he's been in okay start off with the listener thoughts and i'm gonna find his imdb okay so our first listener thought comes from Allie, and Allie says dr archer can get the fuck out already he comes <laughs> off as some worse or comes off to someone worse and even more uh, even more hardest version of ethan with a solid portion of connor's god complex but in the worst way possible amazing <laughs> um and she said the promo for next week seals the deal for me officially my least favorite character on mid <laughs> <laughs> probably gonna be mine after next week too but we'll save that for next week and see what happens oh he was the principal in 13 reasons why i didn't watch that i watched part of it he was on ballers i watched a little bit of that didn't watch that Two episodes of Drunk History. Great show. Um, he's been in some Marvel stuff. Really? Yeah. I think it's mostly like TV stuff because there's Marvel Rising, Chasing Ghosts, TV movie. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Just saw it. Where did it go? Scooby-Doo and guess who? Um, let's see. Marvel mm-hmm. Rising, Initiation. So I guess he does like voice work. Avengers Assemble, TV series. Librarians, NCIS New Orleans. God, yeah. he really has been an ultimate Spider-Man. Okay, yeah, he's done some Marvel stuff. But he's also done some DC. There's a Batman on here too. House of Lies, iZombie. Yeah, I'm like, You watched I'm iZombie, like... didn't you? No. You that did. was Chas- Tamar and Christine. Chasing Life? No, that was Tamar and Christine. Murder in the first. He was on the Dallas reboot. Um wanna watch that, but I haven't watched that. It was so extra, like unnecessarily so. Yeah, I know, but I think that's kind of the point. Um, the funniest part of the Dallas reboot to me was when like two of the characters needed to meet and have a secret meeting and it was like the very end of the episode. And so they met on the field at AT&T Stadium because that is totally where you have a private meeting as you drive out to the middle of the DFW area where the Cowboys play and you walk out to the 50-yard line. That is where you have private meetings. Totally normal, right? Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I've heard of a lot of these things, but I haven't actually seen any of this stuff. He's been in a lot. So Jesse Metcalf actually was at an FC Dallas game one time. I did see him. Oh, yeah. I love him. Yep, yep. He, um, we had a statue of our owner. We still do. There's a statue of our owner who is now deceased, but um, there's always a guest person who puts a scarf on him, soccer thing, scarves. Um, and he was the guest scarfer for that 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 game. And oh, so that's cool. the majority of people there were like, who is he? Why is he here? And I was like, that's Jesse fucking Metcalf. Right. <laughs> Every Hallmark movie ever. Jeez. John okay. Tucker. What are you, did you just know, you just said Hallmark first before John Tucker? What? I did. Okay. I was just a tad too old for John Tucker. You're never too old for John Tucker. Okay. Fair. Anyway. Fair. fair. Anyway, okay. back to the, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Jess, are we on Jess? Yes, we're on Jess. Okay. Jess said, I thought April, April, I did it again. <laughs> Sex toy. 
I thought April and Ethan were great together in this storyline with his mentor coming back. I think we all knew he was going to come in and cause some trouble. So that wasn't too surprising. And I definitely don't think this is the end of him stirring up trouble in the ED. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. What I really liked about it was how April found this really nice balance between being firm and being encouraging with Ethan and reminding him that he's the ED chief. Hell yeah. Their dynamic in this episode kind of reminded me of how they were as an early couple and why I liked them together so much originally. Brian, did you send this in under a pen name? Yes, Jess and I are clearly on the same brainwave. (laughs) Uh, She said, not that I want them to get back together or anything, but it was nice to see after they spent so much time arguing. Amen. But for real though. Yeah. Okay. Zach said, it was refreshing to see him accept that he needs help, especially knowing, or him being um, Choi, especially knowing Choi's military mentality. This was great to see from him. As for the person that he selected, his mentor from the Navy, Dean, Dr. Dean Archer, clearly he wasn't just going to sit back and watch. He was going to get in and get his hands dirty without question. With Choi being the ED chief, it was interesting to see him relent on making clear that he was in charge until later in the episode, along with a little encouragement from April. I think Dr. Archer will be an interesting addition to the ED. I think so too. I think he's going to bring out a new side of Ethan and whether it's a good side or bad side, it'll, it's still new. Yeah. We'll see. So, we will see. I'm down. I'm down. All right. Next up is Natalie and uh, Brian is ride or die Mansell with a little bit of Manstead sprinkled in. Yeah, that was a, uh, yeah. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Brian, take it away. Okay. So Natalie is at, her that's natalie's house right natalie's house so. yeah i'm pretty Which, sure when did she go back home i thought i guess i thought she was staying at club med oh good point good point yeah i she mean was, somebody oh, I, but she's she's probably vaccinated i was gonna say i made that point on twitter and someone said oh she's probably vaccinated i was like good point mm-hmm. um i was just like oh okay she's back at her house mm-hmm. um anyway and so her mom is in town visiting i guess and natalie's like getting ready to take her back to the airport and she goes in the bathroom and finds her mom passed out on the bathroom floor. Um, and she tells Owen to, because Owen's there, of course, obviously. And she's like, stay in there, you know, stay in there. And Owen, of course, walks in at the end. And well, of course, now he probably can't unsee his grandmother laying on, the, on floor. the floor. It's almost like that episode from a couple of seasons ago when like Santa had a heart attack in the waiting room. Yes. <sighs> Scar, yeah. the poor gets to death. That, that kid is probably in, definitely in therapy. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes yeah um so they're of, of course at med and natalie runs into will in the hospital and he's like consoling her very sweet um crockett's in the cath lab you know doing some tests on her mom and he comes out and will is trying to he will's just trying to be helpful and like collaborate about oh if you tried this try this try this but crockett is being a little rude and like i get it on the one hand, like, I don't know if I was in Crockett's position, if I want to, it would make me, I feel like, feel second-guessed. Like, you know, like, oh, so it's like, well, have you done this? Have you tried this? Like, sometimes when people tell you things and you're like, yes, I, I, like, I know what I'm doing. Like, leave, you know, like, leave me alone. But it was not, if that's the way he felt, and that's just me projecting, it was still not the right way to go about his reaction. I, yeah, and I, I get it now that you say that because, you know, when I watched it, I was like, jealousy is not a good look on anybody. Like, I don't like it on any of my One Chicago characters. I don't like it in general. It's just not a good look. But now that I think about it, you know, if that happens to me in my job, I get a little like, excuse you, like, you know. 
I do that a lot. Like if someone's like, oh, well, I need you to do this, this. I, I Have you done this yet? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yes. Like, I know what I'm doing. Like, yeah, you know, um, but also like, go ahead. Well, I, I mean, but but also I, at first I was like, well, why the hell is Crockett being like such a dick about this? Because he's not a cardio resident. He's not a cardio doctor. That's not his specialty. But, he's no more of a like thoracic cardiologist whatever it is that technical word is like cardio thoracic i was close no i wasn't um yeah i mean he's no more of he's no more of a, a, a heart specialist than than will is it's literally just collaborative that will's trying to be like you know what if it's this what if it's that but i i do i do get where crockett's coming from in that instance because i fucking hate that when it happens in my job yeah, and I think mixed in with whatever jealousy or whatever other feelings we want to throw in there, like, it's just not a good look. Um, but, like, I was re-watching it today, because at first I thought it was jealousy, too, and then I was re-watching it today, and the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, well, like, yeah, I would kind of probably feel like that, too, a little bit. Um, but, again, not defending Crockett, because the way he still reacted about it was not great, um, and a lot of his reactions in this episode were not great, but I understand, I guess, more where he's coming from. Yeah. In this scene particularly. Anyway, so Natalie's mom's in heart failure and she's kind of shocked and surprised because she's like, you know, I've never had any heart issues, you know, like it's kind of just developed, I guess, all of a sudden, like, I, I, you know, she doesn't really know what to do. And Crockett suggests an LVAD. And immediately I hear LVAD and I'm just like, I hear chasing cars and I think of, you know, the Denny scene and I'm just like, I can't do it. The prom dress and, and the, the cutting of the, yeah. And yeah, and Alex carrying his seat to the, I just like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. LVADs are forever been ruined. Yeah. Forever been ruined. <laughs> Grey's Anatomy forever ruined the LVAD. But actually though. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Crockett suggests an LVAD and he and Natalie and Natalie's mom are in there talking and then Will all of a sudden comes in and has like a beautiful orchid plant and like drops it off on the table and Natalie's mom is like fawning over Will. She's like, I've missed you so much. <laughs> and Will's like, oh, I've missed you too, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you know, Owen talks about you all the time. And it's just a little awkward since Crockett's standing right there. I mean, Will's the golden boy. Yeah. And Crockett seems like a little I don't know, bitter or maybe surprised or whatever the word is that Natalie's mom doesn't know, seem to know about his and Natalie's relationship. Hey, sorry about that. Kind of awkward. I'm assuming Carol doesn't know. What's that? Well, you and Natalie. That you're uh, seeing each other. Yeah, guess not. Well, glad she has the support right now. Oh, yeah. Want Natalie to be happy. Yeah, me too. I get that. I mean, I think, but I, I think that's where, that's where I kind of, I, I get where Crockett's coming from. Cause like, why haven't you told your mom about us? Why well, are you hiding I, me from them? Well, what I want to know is like, I mean, I love me and so probably more than anyone, but like, what are they? They haven't had that conversation yet. At least not that we know of. I mean, they could have obviously had it off screen. I feel like we would see it but like so maybe they have it i don't know but like they could have had it off screen i guess theoretically but like yeah like are they just dating are they hooking up are they like exclusive and trying to be serious like what are they can we also talk about like how how much i hate it when stuff happens off screen that like we hear about later 
I hate that. Like, yeah, well, yeah. She, she talks here about like the weekend they went away or something. And like, Will was trying to outdo Natalie's dad. I'm like, hi, hi, where was my invite? <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, it's just, yeah. So like, what are they? And like, if they're just saying like, oh, well, we're not really like serious. We're not putting labels on it. Well, then I don't know. I mean, if I was Natalie, would I tell my mom about that relationship? Maybe not yet. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just, yeah. I But part of me was also just like Crockett, like you've got to respect their history. I mean, they were yeah. engaged like you don't well, that's you don't just erase that from the narrative right. and I'm sure he knows about obviously their them being engaged I mean I feel like you can't have worked at med and not known about how terrible their wedding day went down but <laughs> and like what ruined their wedding but like how much does, how much do they like does he know right like again like I don't know I feel like there's a lot of conversation you know things that need to be defined when it comes to the Natalie and Crockett relationship yeah for sure um so I don't know but yes I definitely think you have to take into account that like Will and Natalie have history and like yeah there may not be in a romantic relationship but they're always gonna be friends like they're in a friendly place and you know yeah and they're they're always gonna care about each other I mean at the end of the day that's always going to be there yeah for sure yeah it's not like something bad's gonna happen to Nat and Will's just going to like ignore it out of convenience right well and had I mean, they, that could have happened, but like, obviously, you know, that's not where their relationship is. So right. they are friends. Yeah. So anyway, so Crockett ends up actually getting Natalie's mom's surgery moved to like the same day. And Natalie and her mom are talking and Natalie's mom is again, like all about Will. And she ends up telling us, you know, again, about this, they were at a lake house for a week and it was Natalie, Will and Owen and her mom and her dad. And like, uh, yeah. Where was that storyline? Where, where, yeah. Why didn't we hear about it? Where was our invite? Like, I, I hate when I, it's it's such FOMO, even though everything's all fictional, I'm just like, uh, something awesome happened and I didn't miss, I missed out on it. That's not fair. Yeah. And Natalie's like, you know, mom, like Will and I are just friends, you know, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, actually I'm seeing Crockett and Natalie's mom's like, oh shit, like I didn't mean to put, you know, like, oh damn. And she's like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, And then Natalie's mom, really the thing that's like really getting to her mom is that, you know, now that she's like, you know, I don't know how long I've got, like, she's like, I just want to see you be happy. And so, you know, she's really starting to think about like, oh, crap like I probably don't have as long as I thought I was gonna have on this earth mm-hmm. um so Will goes and sits down with Natalie in the waiting room and you know Natalie's of course a mess as is understandable um and Will's like you know well what are you thinking and she's like you know I guess we're gonna do the bad. and Will's like well you know like your mom's actually really an ideal candidate for the trial and you know but she's then like, well, what if he, she gets a placebo and she's, you know, they're weighing all the things and Will's just like, you know, there's risk of any treatment, but if it's time that you want, like your trial is the best option. If she gets the placebo, Will will just go and like engineer shit. So she gets the drug anyway. Well, and apparently I, he was saying, you know, too, like at the end of the trial, everyone gets the drug anyway. So it doesn't matter. I'm like, mm-hmm. how does that work though? And like, you couldn't have waited with your patient from last episode. Does that not, I guess you like, once you stop the trial and stop collecting the data you need, you're like, oh, sure. Everyone can take the drug now. I don't know. I don't know. It didn't make sense to me. I was like, I feel like that's not how trials work, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't was, know. Was your dad not still watching with you at this point? 
I didn't ask him. I don't really know if he was paying that close attention. Um, he was just noticing more of the surgical stuff, like incisions. Um, anyway, so Natalie's like, well, you should present to my mom. Because, I mean, like, Natalie obviously has an input, but, like, it's really her mom's decision. And again, Crockett finds out, and Crockett is pissed. It's not good. No. And again, like, I understand kind of where I guess he's coming from. Like, it's still technically his patient. So, like, I guess he, you know, things should run through him. But again, it's a touchy situation. Yeah. Yeah. And Will even says, he's like, you know, I have a lot of history with Carol and with Natalie. Like, it may make you uncomfortable, but I'm not apologizing for it. He doesn't have to. No, he doesn't. No, that's it. Um, so Crockett ends up going and talking to Natalie. And he has a conversation of, you know, he's like, you know, like, basically, I want to make sure that you're thinking like a doctor and you're not letting your emotions get in the way of making the decision. Because he's like, you know, the trial, things could get worse, but like an LVAD at least is more like guaranteed time. This is so tough because, like, when he's when he's like, you know, I'm pretty sure that your judgment is being clouded by your feelings for Will. He's did he just try to gaslight her by like making her doubt her feelings? No, I don't think he was trying to gaslight her, but it was definitely I don't know. I don't think he needed to bring that up. I think there's a way to say like. I just want to make sure you're thinking clearly without being like, oh, I, you know, are your feelings for Will getting in the way? Yeah, I don't like how he played that card. Right. I think, I think what his point is valid, obviously, of course, like emotions can get in the way of you making, you know, sound, med- you know, medical decisions. And I think that it, I think his point was important, but he did not need to bring Will into this. No, no, I don't think he did either. I just, but there's something about that argument that I just doesn't sit well with me that like you're making the decision based on emotion okay yeah so and it's her mom like I think I don't think it's fair to tell her to like hey turn that human side of you off for a second and think like a doctor like I don't know I think it's hard though because I think he just doesn't want her to regret the choice Mm -hmm. because really at the end of the day all she wants is more time and with the trial it's not not that the LVAD is guaranteed time either obviously right but it's more likely that she has you know two years maybe a little bit more than that with the LVAD that I mean the trial like especially if she doesn't get the medicine like if she got the placebo I mean she could be gone like in month you know right a lot sooner um I don't know I think it's I think it's tricky sometimes when you're like you don't you know, with emotions making medical decisions hard. Is Crockett acting out of jealousy here? I don't know what Crockett's acting out of. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know where he's coming from with this either. Like, is it that he doesn't like having his decisions questioned? Or is he the jealous type? I also kind of wonder too, again, like, how much does Crockett know? Like, what if he's assuming things based on, like, the little bit he does know about Will and Natalie and, you know, their past relationships, but, like, he doesn't know the depth of things or, you know, like, I feel like maybe he's missing information, too, and making assumptions based on that. Yeah, I, hmm. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. 
He, I mean, he came in, he met Natalie in the middle of the Philip bullshit. I mean, yeah. So I, I mean, if I were him, but this is also because I'm a woman and, you know, we all like our gossip. Um, I would want to know the tea there. I'd be like, what is the full story here? But Crockett is Crockett. And he's just like, I don't ask questions. I just treat people. When I feel like that's his approach about things too, because he doesn't want people getting into his business. He doesn't want to open up about his background. Bingo. So I don't know. It's very tricky, um, the whole thing. And especially then we end up with the end of episode ends up ending and they do decide to go with Delvad. And then, you know, Crockett ends up staying with Natalie, you know, in the hospital that night. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, 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 it's tricky. It's just a very, it, I don't know, is a great way to sum it up. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So um, Megan said, personally, I don't think Will is trying to get in the way of Mansell. I think he was being there for a friend and he knew Carol. However, I do think Natalie should have told her mom about her relationship with Crockett sooner than she did. It's nice seeing Will with somebody other than Veronica, though. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to bet, though, the reason she probably didn't tell Carol about Crockett is because, you know, she didn't want to face, like, the barrage of questions of, like, has he met Owen yet? He can't meet Owen yet. You know, he's got to, like, you got to wait. And, like, well, especially that was her first question when she did tell him, tell her about him. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And I agree. I I think a lot of it also comes back to, too, is, like, I'm assuming that because of that, that means they're not, they haven't defined their relationship. Right. And again, like, if I'm just hooking up with somebody, do I want to tell my mom that? Like, do I need to tell my mom that? No. Right, right. Especially with a kid in the picture. I don't think, you know. Yeah, it's one thing if there's not a kid in the picture, but with a kid in the picture, it's completely different. Yeah, so. Um, Allie said, I can't decide whether Will and Crockett were acting like children or adults. At least they (laughs) didn't come to punches, but there was definitely some passive aggressiveness behind their interactions, particularly from Marcel, which is not a good look. She said, but also that Mansell head kiss was adorable. Did Brenna freak out over that? Yes, I did. (laughs) I love me some good Mansell moments. Um, Yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. So Jess said, I'm really interested to hear what you think about it, Bryna. Because no offense, Gina, but as a fellow shameless Will Halstead stan, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Um, I don't trust either of us to be completely objective. She she gets us. Jess gets us. Yeah. Um, Jess said, but anyway, from the way people on my timeline were acting about Will, I was expecting him to have really overstepped regarding Carol's treatment. But when I actually got to watch the episode, I thought he was pretty respectful about it all. Like, yeah, he brought up his clinical trial without talking to Crock at first, but I thought it was very unwill-like to have the restraint to talk to Natalie about it first and getting her approval before bringing it up to her mom. And I thought it was kind of hypocritical for Crockett to get all mad about not being consulted when I distinctly remember him and Noah walking around the ED trying to snake patients away from other doctors, even when they hadn't called for a surgical consult. Jess has receipts. I, she makes some really good points. She, yeah. She's making some really good points. She said, honestly, I think Crockett just got jealous when he saw how much Carol likes Will. And I found it kind of uncomfortable when Crockett more or less implied that Nat was being influenced by old feelings for Will when they've been broken up and over each other for ages now. Yep. Um, she said, like, yeah, Nat was emotional and worried for her mom, but to say that old feelings for Will was also contributing felt way off base for me. I don't know. Sometimes I defend Will and I know I'm only doing so because as I said, I'm a shameless Will Halstead fan, but this week I think he genuinely done nothing wrong. I'm so glad Jess said it because I was trying really hard not to say it this week. 
Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I don't think Will did anything wrong. I do. I think I understand maybe Crockett a little bit more than some other people. Mm-hmm. And I'm maybe a little bit more quick to defend Crockett because again, hi, I'm the like shameless Crockett stand over here. But yeah, I definitely don't think Will did anything wrong. I don't think so either. By the way, in the middle of the episode last night, Brenna sends me this tweet and somebody had tweeted and was like, if you're a Will Halstead stan, like, that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not it verbatim, but it was something along those lines. And she just sends me the tweet and in all caps just says, you. Now I'm going to look at, hold on, I'm going. Oh, it says, so there's people who really stan Will Halstead, huh? And I said, you. (laughs) I was like, hey, if you want to attack me on Twitter for it, go right ahead. I, that's the, it's the same thing that Will said. I will not apologize for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love you and your love for Will Halstead, but I just don't share in that same love. You don't love my okay. love for Will Halstead. You love me. You don't love my love for Will. <laughs> no, I love you and everything about you, which means I love your love for Will Halstead. Uh, I just don't not share your love for Will Halstead in the same way. It's such a good save. I love you 3000. I love you. 3002 that's not the same but anyway (laughs) anyway zach said it's so good to see crockett be there for natalie and to do his best to treat or and to do his best to treat her mom then we see will show up and i'm not surprised to see the tension between him and marcel whether it was him bringing the flowers to natalie's mom or him talking to natalie about her mom being a part of the clinical trial to me i thought that crockett felt threatened by will's about will's intentions along with will intervening with his diagnosis for her mother to get the lvad this is the only the beginning and it will be interesting to see where things go between will and crockett from here i hope they don't go the roadstead direction because we were robbed of a bromance there Instead of them being friends and colleagues, they were butting heads constantly. I don't want to see that this time around. I also don't need a love triangle. Like, I just don't. Like, if Natalie and Crockett don't work out, I will be sad, but I will be okay. Like, yeah, I don't I'm not, I'm not I don't a fan need... of triangles either. Oh, I'm a fan of some triangles, but I'm not, I don't need a Will, Natalie, uh, Marcel triangle. I just, I don't need it. No. Like, give me the Natalie and Marcel relationship now. And then if we have to go back to Manstead, that's fine. But, like, have them be separate things. Yeah. I don't need a triangle. I no. don't need it. No. Um, Samantha said, seeing Will and Natalie interacting again makes me so happy. It's nice to know they didn't just completely forget about each other. You could tell by their conversations and interactions this week that they still care about each other and it made me miss them that much more. I really hope that this is the start of them getting back together, but for now, my Manson loving heart will take any interaction between them that I can get. It was nice to see them together again. Even though it was brief. It was the appropriate amount. I see your face right now. Yes, I would agree. It was the appropriate amount. I do enjoy them as friends and I did enjoy I did enjoy the fact that Will, you know, was there for her. Yeah, okay. and that that wasn't Will trying to, like, make moves or anything, even though I wouldn't put it past him to, like, you know, be trying to get her back. But this was in no way, shape, or form Will, like, doing anything like that. It was just Will being Will and being there for Natalie. I honestly would have thought that, like, because we haven't seen them interact in so long, that if Will all of a sudden kind of comes out of nowhere and is trying to, like make that happen again it would have felt very out of left field would it have though 
nothing really surprises us on this show. I mean, yes, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's been so long since we've got any kind of Manstead that if all of a sudden Will's trying to, like, make that happen again, it, like, without slowly easing into it, that I'm like, that I'd be like, oh, that's a little, where's that coming from? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Will's um, being awkward again. <laughs> okay, before we move on to the Dr. Charles section, can we please talk about this promo for next week? Yeah. Um, and the fact that, okay, so it's very Mansell heavy and it looks like Ethan's gonna, Dr. Archer's like, oh, well, you know, Natalie and Marcel are dating. And then Ethan's going to be like, I need you to sign forms at HR. And Natalie's like, um, what? Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Has anyone else in the hospital had to do that? No. It's shit's going down next week. Does Archer have an ulterior motive or is he that's just... That's what I'm saying. I think he's trying... That's what I'm saying. He's trying to take over. Oh, that's not cool. And he's like preying on... He's preying on Ethan to like, you know, take advantage of him and get... To, no, no, no. Ethan's a pain in the ass. He's our pain in the ass. You don't mess right. with him. But that's what I'm saying. He's trying to stir up shit. This is what my dad was telling you. <gasps> Your dad knows things. Your dad's like a psychic. Apparently. But... I don't know. I'm just, I'm not cool with the fact that, like, if everyone had had to sign a, like, you know, form with Goodwin or whatever, being like, we're dating. Okay, cool. Whatever. Mm -hmm. But, like, if it's just a Natalie and Marcel thing and Dr. Archer's trying to, like, stir up drama, like, why? Yeah. I mean, we'll find out next week. But that promo, when I saw that, I was like, oh, no. No, 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 no. Ooh. Ooh. And we're going to have to deal with him for seven episodes? supposedly yikes we'll see Mm -hmm. so elsewhere in the hospital we had dr charles um so we're still dealing with anna and sue and you know they're still in the process of wanting to move to arizona and everything so anna got a d plus and um she she has dr charles sign it because you know between the pregnancy scare and moving things are a little crazy in her life right now and you know her head's not in the game and i mean life is being kind of crazy so i mean i understand uh and anna's like you know or dr charles is like well why isn't your mom signing this and anna's like no just no no like not happening so goodwin goes to look for dr charles because they have a case and he hasn't been responding to his pages and it turns out that the judge made their ruling and the judge is allowing or they're not even allowing the judge is basically making anna move to arizona with her mom and so i mean dr charles is just kind of like shell-shocked he's just he's kind of numb he doesn't really know what to do about it and um you know goodwin goes to look for him and they have this talk and this conversation and it's like big bff energy between the two of them i love that friendship so much yeah yeah big time those two need like matching bff necklaces with like the heart yes 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 besties besties so midway through this episode or like even somewhere in the beginning so this woman comes in and she's got a baby and she's like i fell down the stairs my baby won't wake up like this is what's going on so maggie's like okay we're gonna help the baby no problem so they go into a room maggie grabs dr lanik hey nate hi nate um lanik with the good hair lanik with the good hair yes hair is still on it's still on point and i just it's amazing is that what the kids are saying these days do they still say on fleek I don't think so. I don't know. I think you just aged yourself. 
Oh, I'm an old fart. I mean, I, I will admit that any moment of any day of the week. I'm old. Like, no, I don't think that is a thing anymore. Whatever. Um, so, yeah, I did just age myself. Whatever. Um, so, Lanik examines the baby and he's like, this is a doll. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, he's like, is this a joke? Yeah, and she's like, no, like, it's an actual baby. Like, the woman's convinced. And so, Dr. Charles consults and she's like totally convinced that you know it's her baby they fell down the stairs like this is what's going on and dr charles zeroes in on what's called delusional companion syndrome and it's something where these people have the idea of an inanimate object like having a conscience and being real you're shaking your head this whole thing was weird it was a little odd yeah and so dr charles just says he's like well the cause is usually medical so, you know, there's something going on. And so her CT scan reveals a fracture that healed over a year ago. So meanwhile, while this is happening, Anna doesn't want to leave Chicago. She doesn't want to leave at all. She's actually afraid of leaving Dr. Charles, which is really sweet. This um, whole scene made me just like, I was like, oh my God. I know. And she says, she's like, you're the only one I know who isn't going to judge me for anything. So I really love the way this relationship has developed in the last you know, since the end of last season. Yeah, absolutely. Because it went from, you know, being kind of strained to being really nice. Yeah. And it's just, it brings out a different side of Dr. Charles. And I I really, I don't think I've enjoyed a Dr. Charles storyline more until this, like, at a point. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, they find the ex-husband and we get the story. The wife really did fall down the stairs with the baby a year ago, a year ago. So the baby died, actually, and the ex-husband, who happens to be Jason Begay's actual actual nephew. Very uh, fun fact. Yeah, fun fact. So the ex-husband got her the doll as, like, a tribute? Yeah, I still, again, doesn't really make sense to me, but okay. Yeah, so my, my question about this was, like, just how realistic is this? Now, I, I know about... I know about the trend with what's called reborns. Do you know what that is? No. Okay, so reborns are very similar. They're they're sort of they they are not real, but they are meant to look very real in terms of babies. They're dolls. Yes. Essentially. What's the purpose? I don't know. Um but it's I know what reborns are, but I don't, I don't want to speculate for fear of saying the wrong thing. Fair. Yeah. Fair. So, so I, I, but I am aware of what those are and, um, and, and, and that community, but I think that that's kind of what he got her was. Keep going. Sorry. as, as, As kind of a tribute to the baby. The question that I kept having, which was a very specific question and doesn't really matter, I guess, that much, but I, it was the question I had. Okay, so if she's been in this, you know, having this delusional companion syndrome for the last year, ever since he got her the baby, and, you know, she's trying to redo everything, you know, everything. And so, but her husband is her ex-husband. So how does that fit in the picture? Like, does she even, like, really realize that he's her ex-husband and, like, they've been divorced? Or, like, where does she think he's been this whole time since they got divorced? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, that I was mean, just what I kept thinking about. And I don't know why I kept thinking about that. But I was like, well, that? How did, you know? 
Yeah, that, no, that's a fair question is, you know, it, is her with, with regard to the marriage, is her mind in the present or is her mind still in the past? Well, and like, is it only with that one trauma? Like, does it have to do with the baby that her mind is in that one, you know, space? Or is it like with everything in her reality? I think it's just with the baby because Dr. Charles explains it and he just says, he's like, you know, she, she was passed out. So it was the husband who made the decision not to do the surgery. So she didn't get to decide. And so she's trying to, she's trying to like redo it all over again. So she gets control this time. But all, but what I'm saying is like with delusional companion syndrome, does that mean you're delusional to everything that's happening in your reality because you're trying to redo everything you're in so delusional about that one specific aspect. I don't know. And even if that's the case, okay, yes, her husband got the doll as a tribute, but what does everyone else think about this in her life? Like, it's been a year now. Like, I feel like if I, you know, if this was somebody I knew, you know, and loved, and they were, you know, like this woman, I'd be like concerned. And I would have shown concern for this a little more, a little while longer, you know, a long time ago. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. lots of questions with this case lots of questions my, my other question too okay so so the, the way this resolves is that dr charles sits down with the the wife and the ex-husband and he basically explains it as if it's happening in real time and he explains it in a way to give her the choice of you know we could do this surgery it would be really invasive or you know we could let things play out that way uh and she eventually takes that decision she's like don't do the surgery so she gets control of the narrative which is essentially what she wants but like my question here, I, I, I'm usually pretty good with most storylines on med that I'm just like, okay, I mean, weird things happen. That's fine. This is probably one of the rare times where I'm like, okay, but just how realistic is this? And maybe it's because of the experience I had this week with my own doctor's office that I was telling you about before we started recording. Mm -hmm. But I mean, Chicago Med is very lucky to have Dr. Charles that, you know, in most circumstances without Dr. Charles, any ED would be like, you're crazy GTFO. But he zeroes in on the condition and then he's sensitive to it and he actually honors her feelings in light of the condition. Yeah, I'm trying to Google and see if I can figure out like how, you know, rare it is to happen or if it's things and not really finding much, but. Don't get me wrong. It was, I mean, it's, it's a great storyline. It's just one of those where I couldn't help but wonder, you know, just how realistic that is. And also I'm curious how many EDs across the country actually do have a psychiatrist on call. I don't know. Because I feel like that kind of standard of care in real life is probably really unrealistic. Also, I'm looking at it. It says delusional companion syndrome can be caused by acute injury or chronic disease. Um, so things like Alzheimer's, stroke, head trauma, which obviously she had. Yeah. Um, also, apparently, in the 2007 film, Lars and the Real Girl, the main character believes a sex doll that he bought is actually a girl he met over the internet and expects his friends and family to treat her like a real person, too. Oh, that that's the Ryan Gosling movie. Yes, it is. I've literally never heard of this before. I've heard of it. I've never seen it. But... Well, apparently it has to do with this. Hmm. okay cool but yeah fun fun fact yeah this was a really interesting one so so dr charles meets up with anna's mom in the parking lot and they argue and 
Dr. Charles finally tells Sue about Anna's pregnancy, but to his credit, he didn't want to. Like, you can tell that he was really trying hard not to cough that up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he tried really hard. And so it wasn't until, like, towards the end that he was like, oh, for fuck's sake, like, she was pregnant. Like, hello. Yeah. Um, and she, Sue was not happy. Sue was just like, you're fucking kidding me. Like, you're a manipulative son of a bitch. And he's like, no, like, it was a chemical pregnancy. I wasn't going to tell you about it because it was her news to tell, but she's kind of afraid of you. Like, that's just the truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, she speeds off and just, you know, no, not good. So um, it all ends when Anna and Sue arrive at Dr. Charles's house and Anna is staying in Chicago. But she doesn't look thrilled. She looks kind of mad. I think she's mad at her mom. I don't think it's, I don't think she's mad that she's staying with Dr. Charles because obviously I think that's what she wanted, but Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. So Allie said, the timing of when Dr. Charles finally decided to tell his ex-wife about Anna's pregnancy scare felt a little manipulative, like she had pointed out. Then, when she dropped Anna off at the end, it seemed like what he said earlier broke her and she no longer felt like a good parent because of it. He would never intend to hurt Anna's mom like that, so the whole storyline just kind of felt off. I can, I can see that. I, I mean, I don't, think, I don't think he was trying to be manipulative. I think he was just hitting her with the facts. Right, that there's a lot that she doesn't know about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Jess said, I've actually really been enjoying the Charles and Anna storyline and I actually really like Anna as a character. She can be a bit bratty at times, but she's a teenage girl after all, so that's probably to be expected. I thought the storyline with her mom ended a bit abruptly with her just letting her stay, but I also wouldn't have wanted it to drag out too much longer, so I'll take it. And that part where Anna stays, says it's not her friends that she's worried about leaving, it's her dad, oof, right in the feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... Last up is Maggie and Ben. And this was, this this is like the, the part that I was like a little ragey about, but I get it. So Brenda, take it away. Okay. So as we saw kind of at the end of last episode, Aki's got a brother um, and they wanted, he and his family wanted to come visit. And so they are in Chicago visiting. And Keyshawn, that's his brother, you know, they're getting along great and his family's, you know, they're all getting along great. And, you know, they're talking about how great it is that Maggie and Ben are adopting Augie and that Maggie's like, yeah, you know, we love Augie to pieces. And then it turns really awkward because Keyshawn's parents would like for Augie to, for them to adopt Augie because they would love for Keyshawn and Augie to grow up together. Yeah. Like, I get it, but also the audacity. But also yeah. I get it. Right. I get it too. But especially what they've been through and having been separated for so long. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. And then we actually can see Maggie and Ben argue, which is like rare. This was the moment, and we were probably like maybe 15, 20 minutes in. This is when I was like, I don't like this episode. What is happening? Yeah, I know. I was like, mom and dad can't fight. Like, this isn't how this goes. Right. Um, And so Ben actually is like, I think we should have a conversation about it. Maggie's like, yeah, no. Like, I want Augie. Like, I want to adopt Augie. And she's like, is this because we decided not to have kids? And she's like, I think this feels like you're looking for an out. And Ben's just like, that's really low. Like, you know, I couldn't love Augie more if he was my own blood. And so they're not 
it's just it's bad can they never fight again that would be really great thanks right i that was not i didn't like that i didn't like it either no no no, no. let's never do that again right yeah um and so augie doesn't want Keyshawn to leave and you know maggie kind of starts to see that and then even she watches the girl and her doll and that whole thing and she like puts it together and she's like she's finally saying goodbye to her baby and so later on goodwin finds maggie crying in the stairwell and she drops a bomb that goodwin didn't know we obviously didn't know and she says she's like i can't lose another child so as we learn, Maggie had a baby when she was 16 and put her up for adoption. Then Augie came into my life. I felt like a second chance. But see how he was with his brother today, how happy he was. What do I do, Sharon? Maggie, you know I can't answer that. But what you did for your baby, allowing her to have a life that you couldn't give her, that was love. So no matter what decision you make, it will come from that place. I mean, like, wow. What twist. Bond did drop. not see that coming. No, me neither. Did not see that coming. Yeah. And it makes sense, though. Like, everything, like, you know, it makes sense in terms of why Maggie feels the way she feels about Augie and how she feels about now obviously giving him up. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it did definitely come out of nowhere. I feel like she would still care for Augie even if she hadn't had the kid at 16, but, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm a little, like, surprised that we're learning this in season six. Like, I feel like that's something you learn about a person, like, earlier than that. But but if you're so, I mean, not embarrassed. I don't know if that's the right word. But if, you know, if that's a part of your past that you didn't, like, your friends didn't even know. Like, all these people didn't know. And mm-hmm. she even says, she's like, Ben's the only one that knew that. And obviously, that's just, you know, Ben's her husband. But, like, you know, like, I, I get it. Obviously, then that means nobody knows about it. So why would it have come up in conversation? True um but yeah I don't know I like I agree too I wouldn't I don't think Maggie only loves Augie because she feels like you know Mm -hmm. because of her past reasons I don't feel like that at all but it makes sense it brings the storyline like full circle yeah it does it does and it also raises the question of what now because I mean, you know, they're they're gonna let Augie go to California with Keyshawn, yes, but also Maggie's got a daughter out there. Like, does she go find her? What do we do? I don't know. I don't, going back to the Augie thing real quick. I feel like though the only reason I didn't like that, like I understand it, and I I see that they came full circle. I don't like it though because it very much feels like a Louis situation, and I'm just like, why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Oh my god, I didn't even make the Louis connection. Yeah, it's fair. But anyway, going back to your point too about like what's next, I feel like they're kind of setting up Maggie to meet her daughter. Okay. I don't know if that'll happen. I mean, it may not even be like a season six thing. I don't know. I just feel like that's kind of where they're going. I mean, with Maggie, I'll follow her to the ends of the earth. So if she wanted to go to Mars, I'd be like, cool, let's do it. Yep. Yeah. Same. 
protect Maggie at all costs. But actually, though, yeah, because Maggie deserves the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, Megan said, "Love hearing Maggie's backstory about her teenage pregnancy. I wasn't expecting that plot twist." Yeah. Allie said in all caps, what are they doing to Maggie? Couldn't have said it better myself. The whole situation is kind of giving me Louie flashbacks, and I wish someone on the One Chicago shows could just successfully adopt a kid and be happy. At the same time, I also love the storyline because it fits Maggie's selfless nature so well, and you could definitely feel the love she and Ben have for Augie, so much so that they're willing to sacrifice their happiness for him to be with his brother. And then she said, also, holy shit, Maggie had a daughter. That was one hell of a plot twist. I hope they're setting up for some type of reunion between them, but it better go well because Maggie has been through way too much already. Amen, Allie. I agree with all of that. Yes. Um, Jess said, Maggie was the biggest surprise in this episode, to be honest. The moment bet- the moment Augie's brother's parents asked if they could adopt him as well, which I thought was pretty ballsy of them. Mm-hmm. I was pretty sure they were going to end up going through with it. You could just see how much Augie loved being with his brother again. What I didn't see coming, though, was Maggie having given a child for up for adoption when she was younger. When she mentioned losing another child, I was sure she meant a miscarriage. I was full-on shook when it turned out not to be the case. I feel like this could come through up again, though, and it would be a very one Chicago storyline to have her daughter come find her. Either way, Marlene acted the fuck out of all her scenes. Yep. 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 I thought they were going to mean a miscarriage, too. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, again, did not see the daughter twist coming no so samantha said they're really taking augie away from maggie and ben after everything they've been through my heart broke for maggie when she was talking to sharon about giving her kid up for adoption when she was young and feeling like she didn't deserve to be a mom until she met augie she really does deserve to be a mom and i hope she gets that chance again again amen if that's what she wants though because remember she and ben were talking about i guess they decided prior to augie that they didn't want kids Hmm. that they weren't gonna have kids so if that's what they want that's also fine yeah. Um, if Augie ended up being kind of like a one-off thing and it was just, you know, that situation, then that's cool too. Um, but yeah, Maggie wants kids. She should have all the kids. Again, Maggie can do whatever floats her boat. If next week she's like, I think I want to run for president. I'm like, where can I buy the bumper stickers? I'm ready. Right. And if the like, week after that, she's like, I'm going to be a superhero today. Okay, cool. Cool. We, Gina and Bryna will buy the Funko immediately. Like, immediately. We are ready. Like, whatever you want to do, we will follow. Yeah. <laughs> where you lead, Maggie, we will follow. Where you lead. We will follow. Oh, anywhere. <laughs> That you tell us. us too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. But yeah, that's that med. med. Yeah. Any other notes on med? No. Moving into fire. Ooh, this episode of fire. Lots to unpack here. Lots going on here. Okay. So we're going to start off with, with Granger and Casey and bread. It's, it's, it's the best worst love triangle ever. Yeah. I don't know. Not the best. What is he saying? Yeah, it wasn't great. It wasn't. Yeah, no. So, okay. So Herman and Cindy are leaving for a week. They're, they're going on vacate. They got an Airbnb. Like they're just going to go. I'm guessing Lee Henry is taking care of all of his siblings. I guess, but like, Ooh, I don't. I know. It's like 20 year old Lee Henry. No. You said 24 hours. Okay, cool. A week. A week. Yikes. Lee Henry's going to throw a party uh-huh yeah yeah and it turns out the floater that they got to replace herman is granger How perfect. because of course because of course of course so casey's not thrilled 
Not because the, of course. Because of course, yeah. So <laughs> so on their first call, they get to the call and like right from the get-go, Granger's like, okay, Ritter do this, like you do that. And Casey's like, the fuck, dude? The answers, the orders come from me first. And Granger's like, my bad. Oops. Like we don't have a captain at 40. So the- My bad. <laughs> the orders just come from me and I'm sorry. So they get back to 51 and Granger handles this professionally he's like i'm really sorry like hey you know it's a reflex it won't happen again and casey's like you're only here for a couple of shifts like defer to me on calls and we won't have any problems he's oh, okay. such a fucking asshole he really is like such captain a casey is in full swing in this episode oh my god such and it's not just captain casey it is jealous captain casey which is even worse right well and then he has this moment too so granger goes in the bathroom right and casey like looks like he's gonna turn around and potentially apologize but then he sees like granger's like gone off and he's like yeah and i'm like you're such a fucking asshole yeah yeah i just want to like bust out into agatha all along and be like who's that messing up everything it's been casey all along (laughs) (laughs) oh man so Granger's going through the engine. Brett comes over to chat and she's like, Hey, like, how's everybody treating you? How's it going? And he's just like, so your captain's wound a little tight. And she's just like, Oh my God. Like everybody loves him. Just like, give him another chance. He's, he's not that bad. He's fine. So at the end of shift, Casey goes to Bowden and is like, Hey, I thought we could find another floater. And Bowden's like, yeah, no, yeah, no. Like Granger's here to stay and switching out floaters would just make more paperwork. Like we're not doing that. I love that that's his reasoning though. I mean, like I, there is absolutely no point to switch from Granger anyway, but he's like, yeah, no, we're not doing the paperwork. No, no, no. (laughs) I love that reasoning though. So later on they're at Molly's and Granger buys Casey a drink as like another peace offering. I mean, he's, he knows his place. He knows he's a newcomer. He's trying his best. He's trying so hard and I appreciate it so much. Yeah. He, and that's like a gentleman thing to do to, you know, buy a drink. Um, and so they cheers and everything. No problem. Like that's all great. And so Granger notices. Yeah. But Casey like cheers him and then Casey's like, whatever, I'm still mad. Um, Granger notices Brett looking at Casey as he walks away. And so she's like, you don't have to try so hard with him because he's going to come around. And then it just kind of clicks for Granger. I don't know how I feel about this, though. He's like, you two had something, didn't you? I don't. Why don't you know how you feel about that? Because, like, I don't know. I mean, they did. But also, why does his mind go right there? Like, because they're looking at each other. I mean, they're like hardcore staring at each other and making eyes at each other. I guess that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, And Brett says, she's like, it was between something and nothing. And like, let's get out of here. Let's go. And they have some sexy time. And it was not bad. Oh, my God. He's so hot. He really is. (laughs) He's so hot. I mean, Jesse Spencer's a good looking man, too. But like, he's so hot. I know. I think the I think when I pulled him on IMDb, like he's been in a bunch of like telenovelas and stuff. Yeah, he has. And he yeah. was in. I was telling you the last time we talked about this, he was in. Um, not that I haven't watched it yet, but he's in. Uh, what's that new one with Catherine Heigl? Oh, Firefly Lane. Yes. He's, okay. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, he's pretty hot. He's nice so look hot. at. Nice look at. Yeah. So. 
they come in for the next shift. Granger and Ritter are walking in because they're engine and Casey's like, something's missing. Like, go fix it. And Casey walks off and Ritter's like, he's not like that. And Granger's like, that's what everyone tells me. Yeah. And so finally, so Granger goes to tell him. Granger's like, I found what you were missing. It was right where it should have been. Like, it, not my fault. So Granger walks away, but he's got to get the last word. I'm a good officer. I care about this job. I just hope me being here at 51 isn't a problem for you because of whatever you had going on with Sylvie. You're way out of line, Lieutenant. And you're unprofessional, Captain. Oh, man. Just Granger should have walked away, but also I'm glad he called him out. Yeah, with what you just said. He should have walked away, but Casey definitely needed to be called out. But also, majorly saved by the bells here. But um, Un- Well, sort of intentional <laughs> pun. Sort of intentional pun. But um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and Brett overhears the entire conversation. The thing that I don't get, though, and I get that this is Casey just being jealous and being a total fucking asshole. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're way out of line, Lieutenant. What? Because he's calling you out because you're being a professional? Okay, Casey. Yeah, I think I think he's way out of line because he's not used to a lieutenant calling him out who is not Severide. No, he's saying that, Casey's saying that Granger's out of line. No, I know, but that's what, I mean, because... He's he's calling him out on his bullshit, and the only person he gets he the, the only person he lets get away with that is Kelly. Oh, true. I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kelly's the only one who can call him out on his bullshit and actually like you know make sure the words land. Anybody else calls him out, he's like, "You're wrong." So it's, it's bad. I know. I know. Um, so Brett overhears the whole conversation, and so fifty-one and eighty-one, they get called to this call where. A car has basically flipped over onto the sidewalk and a woman is trapped. And also it's like pretty much at Navy Pier because you can see the Ferris wheel in the background. Yeah. So I'm still not completely clear on the logistics of this call. First off, how the hell did that happen? And was she in the passenger seat? Because the way the car is flipped, it looks like she's in the passenger seat and then she's like splayed out on the wall. But then who, what happened to the driver? Exactly. I had the same question too because my first thought when I watched it last night was like, oh, so what happened to the driver? Because clearly that's like a passerby. And then I like watched it again. I was like, no, no, no. She was like in the window. I mean, I was like, oh, fuck. I have no idea. I have no idea either. So, so like there's a wall and the car is, you know, obviously like leaning against it at like a 45 degree angle, but the tires and everything are facing outwards. So Again, it's just, and she's hanging out the passenger window. So none of that makes sense. But anyway, so the way they solve this is that like 81, they get cribbing to like stabilize the car and they put it in on like the tire side. But I still don't understand where Granger's solution comes in because like the car is at a slant. You put the cribbing in over here and that keeps the car from going this way. It's meant to push it off against the wall so they can get her out. Because with a charged hose, it's enough that where it pushes, the idea is that it pushes, this is like so bad because we're not in person. I feel like trying to do this with hand diagrams is not working. If this is the wall, if the wall, it's basically supposed to push, help push the car as it inflates with the water, it's supposed to push the car off just a little bit and fall onto the cribbing and stabilize it that way. Oh, 
<laughs> that makes sense now. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Oh, wow. Man, Brian just gave me a good physics lesson for the night. I And I failed physics. But anyway, I didn't fail. But you know what I mean. I, physics, I physics was my only C in undergrad. I, I did not understand physics for the life of me. I took physics in ninth grade, hated it, never took it again. Um, hated it. Freshman year of college. And it made no hated sense. It. None. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. No. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. So... Okay, so I guess because the the cribbing alone wouldn't have been enough to get. Okay, I get it now. I get it now. Okay, so yeah, Granger's like, we'll just thread in the hose, like that will help, and it it works, it works. Um, which like, cool. I wouldn't have thought to do that. And Mouch was like, that was a really genius idea. And watching it, I was like, I don't know what the fuck just happened. But now I'm like, oh. And the fact that Casey's actually, I mean, he didn't acknowledge it to Granger, but he was like, yeah, that was a good idea. And I was like, progress? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe? So they get back from the call and Brett is pissed. And she's not like pissed. She's pissed, pissed. She is pissed. Oh, she mad. She mad. What is wrong with you? What? I heard the way you were talking to Granger before that last call. Then you heard him out lying. No, Matt, he wasn't. You were. You've been writing him for two straight shifts. I have not. You have. What you're not getting, Matt, this doesn't have anything to do with Greg Granger. It doesn't even have to do with me. It has to do with the fact that you're still in love with Dawson. I called you out, and you haven't done anything about it. Maybe you should reach out and resolve that so you can go back to being the Matt Casey everyone looks up to around here and not this. Okay. It took me some work to understand why she played the Dawson card. Like she said the D word. She went there. Mm-hmm. It took me some work. I had to watch it a couple times before I got it. But she's basically saying, she's like, this is, you're acting like a child because you're still in love with Dawson. Because when I asked you what would happen if she came back, you said you didn't know. So you need to resolve this shit to determine if you want to be with me. That's basically the subtext that I got. I think that's correct. But what I, what kind of still blows my mind is the fact that she doesn't understand, like that she still doesn't get it. I mean, I'm not saying Casey and Dawson actually stuff aside, like the reason Casey is acting like this towards Granger is because he has feelings for her. Regardless of what he may or may not feel for Gabby, that's a different situation. But like the reason he is acting like this fucking asshole that he's being in this whole 24 48 hour shifts is because she is with Granger and he wants to be with her. Literally, and that's like the fact that she doesn't see that is still kind of mind blowing to me. Yeah, I it really threw me off when she played the Dawson card. I was like, wait, what does she have to do with this right now? Yeah, it still doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, because Matt has said, you know, recently he's I mean, even the other day, he's like, I haven't thought about gabby in a long time he's like you know even trying to be with cindy like i tried to move on like i tried to do other things and all i thought about was sylvie i mean but what if she's right though what if you know he is just kind of lying and he really does still have feelings for dawson i don't think he's lying there's a difference i think between maybe not recognizing it and lying i don't think he's lying Mm -hmm. because i don't think Matt's a fucking asshole. I mean, sometimes he can be. Captain Casey is the worst. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't think Matt's a liar. Mm. At least not on purpose. Um, 
but I don't know. Like it does, this whole thing is really brought up an interesting point or something I've been thinking about a lot today, especially after we watched it. Do you think they're going to have, like Monica's going to come back? I... Like, do you think that's where they're trying to go or at least maybe not back in person, but like back via like a phone call or something? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm curious. I don't think that she would come back for just like a Zoom call or something like that. I don't think Monica would come back for that. I think, I think we will see Dawson again. And I think it'll be if Casey, if Jesse Spencer ever decides to leave, leave the, leave the show. I think that's when we'll see her again. But we did get a couple of questions about this. A couple of people did message us and we're like, are they setting up for Jesse's exit? Like the fuck is happening here? I don't think so. Look, on one Chicago day, one of the outlets, uh, Nakia actually, it was Nakia. She actually asked about Jesse's contract and he said, he was like, I love being on the show. Yeah, I don't think he's leaving. I don't think so either. I don't think that we're setting up for anything like that. I don't think we have to worry. I was just curious. Yeah, I don't. And it's funny because like a lot of people ask that. I didn't think that at all. I only started really, I only, it only even crossed my mind when I started reading what people were sending us. Right. The thing that I'm thinking about though is like, can Casey, if Brett wants Casey to figure out his shit regarding Dawson, can he do that without actually talking to Dawson? And would that require him having a conversation that we, like, because I feel like that's cheap if we don't get to see it. If that is what happens, he's like, you know what, I need to talk to Dawson. And then we don't get to see said conversation. I don't see how he resolves it without talking to her. I think he needs some closure. And right. just in the sense of like, is there still any hope for us? Like, you know, what, what do we do here? I don't think there's a way to resolve it without her talk, without them talking, but I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see it. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. If like the season finale is like Matt going to Puerto Rico or something and we don't see Monica at all. It wouldn't surprise me, but I wouldn't like it. I mean, Monica's over kicking ass on Hightown, so. Yeah, I, I mean, I get it. Like, logistically, I get why, but mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Even if it would, even if it was just, a fake conversation and we only heard his side oh that, that i could see you know that what i'm I saying see. like him being like yeah no but you really hurt me like you know like you don't actually hear her talking you just kind of hear his side like yeah I because like- on the flip side of that if he goes to puerto rico to get closure and she gives him that closure and says no there's no hope for us it's almost like bringing monica in to have that scene is like shutting the door on her ever coming back again yeah but that's why I don't know I don't know do you really think though he wants like he's curious about whether there's hope for them at this point I think so I think so because he I mean if he really wants to be with Sylvie he knows he needs to resolve that question right but he I think resolving that question is different than like do you think he thinks that like that's a possibility I think this is almost like Alex and Izzy and Joe in a way. And that Alex is like, if there's no hope of me and Izzy, I'm going to be with Joe. But since that door reopened, he was like, I'm leaving Joe. I'm going with Izzy. I think I don't think Alex and Izzy and Joe were like that at all. Just in like, in, in, in terms of like logistics. Now I think in, in, in that, you know, Alex had a former flame out there. He moved on and you know, he ended up choosing which way to go at the end. I think with Casey like and Dawson. I don't on. know. That's such a, I feel like a different conversation because it was never a question of 
is Izzy like do I have feelings for Izzy still blah 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 like he moved on and they mm-hmm. literally never brought Izzy back up until they decided to write Justin Chambers off the show and then they're mm-hmm. like oh like we're gonna go with Alex and Izzy and blah blah that whole like BS ending that yeah. I yeah I think that's a different I think that's a little different I understand the point you're trying to make but like Katherine Heigl wasn't coming back so it's a little different um I don't know I don't know and maybe this is like the diehard Brettsy in me that's like doesn't want to believe that he still right now at least is like thinking about Gabby but I don't know like his like he's even said it like he's so focused on Sylvie that like I'm not saying the Gabby and Casey don't end up in the end, but like, is that what he's thinking about right now? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. It's a question of is is Brett right on the money in terms of the way she's interpreting it, or you know, is she way off? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Don't know either. So, um, Megan said, Matt was acting pretty unprofessional. I'm on Team Sylvie, however. I just wanted Matt to yell, it wasn't because I'm still in love with Gabby. It's because I'm in love with you as she was walking away. Yeah, that would have cleared up a lot. Yeah. He just, he needs to just lay it all out there. Yeah. That's, I think, the bigger problem, though, honestly. Is, like, I think if if he could literally just say that, that would be fine. Or even if he could just say something that's more clear than I don't know Mm -hmm. I think this is a different conversation I think he was being honest when he said that though what that he didn't know yeah I think he was being honest I mean Gabby was the love of his life like I don't know close to like a you know storybook romance in reality that you're ever gonna get Right. I understand in the moment too, but like they've also since then had a bunch of conversations about it and he's told Severide and other people that he doesn't think about Gabby right now. See, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks he might be lying to himself and doesn't want to face how he really feels. I don't know. That's hard to, it's hard for me to believe. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I feel like Matt, not saying that he doesn't always think about, you know, that he doesn't occasionally think about Dawson and how she's doing in Puerto Rico, kicking mm-hmm. ass, and that he obviously is always going to have love for her, and that that they don't even end up at the very end whenever Jesse Spencer decides to leave, regardless of all of that. I have a hard time believing, because Gabby left now, it's been like three seasons, well, two and a half seasons mm-hmm. since Gabby left. Matt has had chance now to put all that behind him. Like she came back even last season, season eight, they had their night, whatever. He's had a chance to put that behind him and like slowly start caring for Brett. And yeah. like the reason he can't, Sydney wasn't helping him is because he cares about Brett. Mm-hmm. And so like, just like Naomi didn't help him when he still cared about Gabby. Yeah. So I don't know. I just have a hard time believing that right now gabby's on his mind in that way in that specific way it's a big old mystery it's it's a real big mystery take us through Allie. um ally said casey was acting like a literal child for most of the episode and brett had every right to yell at him like she did 
Although she was definitely wrong about being hung up on Dawson reasoning. He wouldn't get all jealous over Granger and Brett if he's still not over Dawson. Brett's at this point is more dense than upset was before they got together. <laughs> and it's both infuriating and amusing to watch. I hope when Casey finally comes clean about his feelings, it's not because of his jealousy. Fair. That's a good point. I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Jess says, I mean, I love Matt. I really do. He's one of my favorite characters on the show, but holy Batman, he was such a freaking asshole this week. I was expecting a couple of little jabs at Granger because he was pissed off and jealous about Brett, but man, he was like a dog with a bone and would not let it go or give the guy a chance. Honestly, I can't blame Granger for blowing up at him because if I had tried to be nice to Casey that many times and he'd blown me off every single time, I wouldn't have kept my cool either. For me, Matt was almost borderline out of character this week. Like, yeah, he has the occasional stubborn ass moments when he's in Captain Casey mode, but this was over the top. Definitely not a good look for him. Interesting question. Was it out of character for him this week? What? That he was so out of control? That he he like he turned like the asshole mode into like turbo. I don't say I don't know. I think this was more asshole Captain Casey than we've ever seen. Yeah. Is that out of character? I wouldn't use that phrase only because we clearly know that Casey can have his moments of what we all have now affectionately referred to as Captain Casey moments. Like, you know, like, but yes, was this the most asshole-ish Captain Casey version we've ever seen of him? Yes, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jess also said, because of that, it was pretty freaking cathartic to see Sylvie put Matt in his place about his behavior. It, it was, it was. It was. Um, it would have been even better if like she had yelled that like what is wrong with you maybe like the what the hell is wrong with you it would have been even better um but she was completely right when she said that none of this is about Granger or even her really but it's about Matt's feelings for Gabby I think Matt and even the fandom have gotten distracted by Granger and have started to think of him as what's been keeping Bretzi apart but the problem is and always has been Matt's unresolved feelings for Gabby He's told Severide how he feels about her and how he's more or less over her, but he still hasn't told Sylvie and it's so frustrating. And look, I'm all in on Bretzi and I'm pretty convinced that all this Granger and Gabby business are just roadblocks the writers are using to drag them out and getting together. But it's nice to just see them or one of them anyway, finally talking plainly about their relationship after dancing around it for weeks on end. Hoping that after this week, Matt will realize that what Sylvie needs to hear is that he'd pick her over Gabby. So it seems pretty split. People either think like he's in love with, he's definitely in love with Sylvie or he's still hung up on Gabby. But I, I think it can be both too. Yeah, true. Fair point. I mean, I don't fall in that camp, but like, I also think it could be both. Like you can have feelings for two different, you know, you know, they're different kind of feelings. Like, obviously I would say his, him being in love with Sylvie is more, current and like active whereas like the Gabby feeling still may just be like him trying to cling on to something he's known like you know the only kind of I guess like real love he's known yeah and maybe almost like a comparing thing um but yeah I really agree with um what Jess said about the fact that like what Matt needs to realize is that Sylvie just needs to hear that he'd pick her over Gabby yeah that she is not a second choice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um emily said 
Casey needs to get his head out of his ass and actually say something in response to Brett instead of looking at her with wide eyes. Like, come on, deny that you have feelings for Gabby already. We know that you only have eyes for Brett. Put on your big boy pants and have the conversation with her rather than be a total jealous jerk and taking your frustrations out on Granger. These two seriously need to get together already. They're driving me nuts. Let it out, Emily. She also said, is Casey, do we, this is a question for us. (laughs) Is Casey emotionally stunted? We know he has no game, but why can't he just tell Brett how he feels? It would make all of our lives a lot easier. I don't (laughs) like being mad at him. I love that so much. Uh, I think he's emotionally stunted in, in, in a way that like he can't effectively communicate what he's feeling, but that's a one Chicago thing. That's like right across the board. Like name that's the like everybody thing. That's everybody. They just can't communicate like, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. Even next week in the promo, all Casey needs to say is I have a headache and he doesn't even say it. <laughs> oh, we'll get to that promo too. <laughs> I have feelings about that promo, but yeah, I, I agree yeah i agree um samantha said brett called casey out and i loved it maybe this will be finally be or this will be what finally gets casey to cut the bullshit and do what most of the fandom has been wanting him to do since 902 i don't think brett could have made it more any more clear at this point what he needs to do if he wants to be with brett he needs to clear up and resolve the dawson stuff first we've known that and hopefully now he does too And she says, as much as, I, as Casey does need to resolve the whole Gabby thing, I don't know if I agree with Brett that that's why Casey was acting so unprofessional. I think it was because of Brett. Even if Granger could, even Granger could see it. I think Casey got jealous seeing Brett with Granger and that's why he acted the way he did towards him. I mean, he's not going to ask for a new floater to replace Granger because he's still in love with Gabby. No, he's going to do that because of his feelings for Brett. Oh, good point. Good point. That's what I was, because like he said before, Sylvie's been the only one in his mind. He can't get past what happened with Sylvie, not Gabby. Sylvie is the one that he wants and everyone can see it but her. That's what Mm. I was trying to say earlier, but uh, Samantha did a much better job at stating that than I did. Good point. Good point. Like he's, of course, he's not going to ask for someone to replace Granger because like Gabby, you know. Right, like if Cordova came back to be a floater and he was still in love with Gabby. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I can see it. Throwback to the Cordova days. Throwback to the Cordova days, yes. The first there were the a podcast. lot of old references in this episode. I appreciated that quite a bit. I did too, the robot. Which the robot, the yeah. Yeah. I wonder what yeah. ever happened with that robot. Who knows? It's probably still in the closet. <laughs> yeah, probably so. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot to, we'll see how this all hap- unfolds you know even like in next week's promo Casey clearly gets hurt and then there's that weird moment where he like Brett's like talking to him in the locker room and he's like uh, shaky I don't know what's happening literally all he has to say is my head hurts <laughs> in that scene though the way they at least they edited it I don't you know obviously we'll see how the episode actually plays out but at least in the promo it made me think i was like i swear to god if we get one of these like alternate reality episodes you know how they do those things where like someone gets a head injury and yeah. then they start i was like i swear to god if that's what this is i'm gonna like i, I don't i i don't think one one chicago has not done that to us yet and i don't think they would I don't either but it crossed my mind the first time i saw that promo and i was like oh fuck if that's what this is i can't <laughs> i think the dick wolf shows are a little too grounded in reality for that because like they've never done that on svu have they you're the wrong person to ask but like i doubt i doubt they would do svu is way too procedural for that yeah yeah and now this makes me want to go back and watch the one tree hill episode when nathan crashes the race car and then everything flips and well i was even thinking about the grace anatomy one where like meredith and alex are together and it's like but he ends up cheating on her with 
uh, April, and it's just like a whole. That was my first thought. I don't think um, they would do that to us. But now that I don't you... either. But the only reason I was like, well, if anybody in the one Chicago could do it, it's fire because of the comedy. True story. Although now that you've proposed the question, I'm like, what do you think Jay was dreaming of when he was in surgery when he got shot? Oh man. <laughs> I like again, I don't think we're doing that, but it did cross my mind, not gonna lie. <laughs> Pretty a couple seasons from now, we're gonna be like, we're covering the first ever musical. This is weird and, and uncomfortable. If we ever get a one Chicago musical, I will die. And I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, but there are talented musicians within the cast. We had like three Broadway actors on men, oh, four, and we've gotten rid of all of them. <sighs> I know. Four? Colin? Heather? Who else? Patty? Broadway? Patty Murin? <laughs> I thought you meant like Patty, Patrick, Patty. No, Patty Murin, and then what is the guy that played? Terry what is his name yes yes I can't remember his name but yes he was in Hamilton yes yes that's what I'm saying and that's the four I can think of off the top of my head yeah god I would have paid such good money to see like a behind the scenes like just like sing off between Colin and Heather oh but over on fire I mean we've got you know Miranda and then Jesse and Christian Christian. we've got like and Kara we got like some musical people over on fire too you got Nick on med too he sings and plays guitar yeah mm-hmm. now do any of the pd kids patty sings doesn't he does he i think so i don't know i don't know either you anyway. would have had josh Sagara if you hadn't killed him off <laughs> uh, yeah don't remind me yeah josh Sagara. that will yeah. forever be too soon anytime somebody brings up justin Voigt, i don't care how many years it's been i'm just like too soon Oh, Josh Sagara, my dream interview. Well, one of my dream interviews, so. I know. I, I just, I want to watch Christmas on the Square, even if it's like July, just to see him and Dolly, my queen. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So. Anyway. Severide. Severide. The dreamiest, or should we say, Severide. 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 Um, yeah. This so. was a great storyline. This was so good. And it paid, it paid homage to the April Severide friendship, which is like one of my favorite had, things. And we hadn't heard about in like five years. Yeah, yeah. Probably so, more than that, to be honest. Well, so much so that the One Chicago account even tweeted out and was like, longtime shyhards will probably remember that. I'm like, it shouldn't have to be something where you're a longtime shyhard to remember. Like we should have all known of this from the get-go. Yeah, it's like not that hard to know. Like, it, yeah. Uh, yeah, no. So, Brenda, take it away. Okay. So, all of 51 gets called to this house fire. And it's a house that immediately, as soon as they get there, Casey's like, oh, like starts barking out orders and stuff, right? So, oh, you know, there's two uh, bedrooms upstairs in a small hallway. And everyone's like, how do you know that? Um, and so they're going through the call, whatever. Severide goes upstairs and takes one of the bedrooms. And he ends up saving this teenage boy, um, Dylan that by telling him how to climb down the drain pipe out of the window because they were trying to get the aerial over there but it's like taking too long and apparently that was how Severide used to sneak out when he lived there as a teenager so this is Severide's childhood home 
totally not what I was expecting when the episode description said no. that it was familiar. I mean, I guess I was close-ish when I said maybe it had Benny related, but yeah, I was definitely, that was, yeah, that was like a very random guess, so. Because my first thought was the warehouse where Shay died. My second thought, I was like, well, maybe this is the house that he and Bowden red a couple years, a couple weeks back when they found the guy who was the police officer. Didn't the only reason even cross my mind. You were talking. You guys were talking about that last night mm-hmm. in our text. The only reason I didn't think it was that house was because I feel like that would have shown up in the like you know previously on Chicago Fire or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. Like once we saw, once I kind of got that there was none of those kind of moments in that, I was like, okay, well, I guess this is a new address mm-hmm. that we've never seen before. Yeah. Um. But anyway. Um, and so while they're in this call too, they see the mom like going after the fridge in the middle of the fire. And so they kind of were like, oh, well, I guess she's going after some drugs in there, you know, whatever. They're like, okay, yeah, it's, this is a drug house, whatever. And she's legit on fire. Yeah, like legit on fire going for the legit. refrigerator. You um, guys, um, my friend Haley and I, we went to Universal like three years ago and we saw stunt people like explain how they do those types of like stunts. Oh my God, it's scary. Even even when you know that like, you know, it's all completely like prepared for and stuff. They put this like material on from like head to toe to protect them and then they like douse them and it's yeah. still really scary. It's crazy. <laughs> um, so after they're back from the fire though, we see this moment of Severide and Stella like debriefing, which love, love, love. love. Um, he and Severide shares that like you know he used to crash at April's place when he didn't want to be home um and it's just I love seeing him open up to her I just I will it will never get old it'll never get old you know what I need now that like we now that we've seen Kelly talk to Stella about like the friendship with April I need to see like Stella ride and April get beers at Molly's or something yes I just need more of the Severide and April friendship period it's so underrated like criminally underrated mm-hmm. yeah it really is though um and but Bowden interrupts and introduces him to this detective from narcotics who wants to get a closer look at the fridge in the house and so Severide's like yeah I'll take you over there um but when they get over there they find out that it wasn't like illegal drugs it was insulin and so Dylan and his dad actually are show up to the scene and tell them that like obviously they had found a bulk deal for cheaper you know they're really struggling to make ends meet and so like the bulk deal for cheaper was really something to benefit all of them and so it's you know it's a tough pill to swallow for them that they you know lost all that money and they're still gonna have to buy more insulin so severide instead of going to molly's with everyone else he goes to med and goes to talk to april and it's just like it's really fun to see them reminisce at old times it really is they have such a good friendship yeah and like he even says he's like you know you were there for me when I was at my Lewis and he's like you know that and she admits that like that year and like going through all that stuff with Severide like made her realize that she should take care of people for a living and she's like because if I could help Sully Severide like I could help anyone <laughs> which I love but actually though um and he asks her he's like do you know of any programs to like help out the family you know they lost their insulin supply you know yada 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 and she agrees to look into it but the thing that i love that when he's like walking away he's like well tell your parents to love for me will you and she's like i will mm. something that made me think of too what do you think the severide noah relationship was like i was just gonna ask you the same thing <laughs> i this imagine i I'm, I'm willing to bet that noah totally looked up to kelly Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure oh for yeah. sure yeah yeah i'm sure he was like an annoying little brother to them but 
still and april was probably always like just ignore him and kelly was like no he's cool yeah literally yes i'm so bummed we never got to see severide and noah interact i know i know yeah anyway so as severide's leaving the hospital he runs into dylan and dylan's upset and severide's trying to talk to him but he just like runs away out of the elevator so april stops by on her way home from shift and tells severide that there's a program that will actually help dylan it's like a trial of some sort but it'll actually help dylan get his insulin covered like 100 percent so severide goes to see the family and tell them the good news when dylan's dad tells him that like dylan never came back to the hospital that night um and his dad knows where he is he knows that a neighbor told him that he saw them you know at their old house and so severide volunteers to get him and so he finds Dylan in his room packing a bag and is just talking to him and Severide tells him about the hiding spot on the floor that he made to like hide the cigars that he stole from Benny, which I love. And like, mm-hmm. I, I love knowing the fact that 16 year old Severide was like stealing cigars from Benny. I imagine teenage Severide was very much like teenage Buck, like we saw in, in, in that episode on 911. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, I love that. I love that he was like hiding or stealing cigars from Benny. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that note. Uh, but it gets like, really deep and he you know trying to get dylan to open up so there was a note in here when we first moved in i don't remember what it said i'm here anytime you need me it's written by a girl who used to live up the street i was going through some rough times back then same age as you you know what i learned you gotta lean on the people who love you. I there's something really special about the way that Kelly interacts with kids, and we've talked about that before. But like the way he interacts with them and gets them to open up when they're struggling, and it's just it's really beautiful. Like this storyline was this was great. Yeah, yeah, just it's Kelly. I mean, he just he just knows how to get on their level because he's been through a lot of shit, mm-hmm. and he can relate to them in that way. Yeah, and he doesn't, and, and I've said it a million times before, but he he talks to them like they're grown-ups. He doesn't talk down to them. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. good. And just, just, and and the the homage that was paid tonight, the, uh, the homage that was paid during this episode to Kelly and April's friendship is just so good. Like, it was so impactful to him that it's just so wrong. We pay so little attention to it. I was just about to say, like, the fact that it was, it clearly was so impactful to him, but we never bring it up. And I get that we're not going to bring it up, like, every episode, but, like, you could easily bring it up once a season. Mm-hmm. Like, easily bring it up once a season. Yeah. Even if you just, I'm not even saying you need to get into, like, their past and, like, what they were like as kids, but, like, you could have April and, Eve, or April and Severide talking about a Ste- Severide and Stella stuff at mm-hmm. Molly's. Well, maybe not now during COVID times, but you know what I mean. Right. Like, right. I'm sure if Severide, well, I guess they're not actually that close anymore based on this, but like, I'm sure Severide would go to her about Stella. I'm sure of it. Yeah. And I think so. we've never seen that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, though, I mean, like, like you said, you know, we're not going to hear a lot of stories about them from when they were younger, but if somebody wanted to write a prequel fanfic, I would read it. Oh, I'd read the hell out of that. I yeah, we'd read the hell out of it. We'd and if share it already that exists, please send it to us. If it already exists, why haven't you sent it to us yet? <laughs> please send it to us. Yes, yes. Um, can we also go back to the second when Kelly walked in the house and he saw the word "sorry" on the freezer? 
I was terrified. I was like, no, we're not doing th- No. <laughs> yeah. When especially we had like five minutes left in the episode. I was like, oh, fuck. I was mm-hmm. like, that's not enough time to wrap this up. I was glad I was wrong. <laughs> Same. I breathed the biggest sigh of relief when he walked in and found Dylan like in the corner. I was like, oh my God, thank God he's still here. Oh, like that yeah. was nerve wracking. It was really, yeah. 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 So Megan said, Kelly was the MVP of this episode. Dylan probably ranks in my top five of the kids he's helped. This probably hit close to home or close to him because he was around Dylan's age. I'm going to be honest. When Kelly walked in the house, I was saying, please don't be dead. So glad he wasn't. So glad that like everybody had that thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Allie said, the Severide and April storyline was so pure and wholesome. I really wish we could have some flashback episode to explore their childhood friendship, but I highly doubt that's ever going to happen. Yeah, the, the one Chicago's not big on their flashbacks. They did it the one time in, in 301, but I don't think we'll see that again. That's why you just bring it up in like conversations that you have more frequently. This is also what fan fiction is for. That too. Mm-hmm. That too. Mm-hmm. Um. Jess said, Severide's storyline was really good. I'm a sucker for remembering character details, so any storyline that includes a callback to a character's backstory is a winner in my book. Plus, I'm always down for a mini crossover, and I love seeing April. Add in Detective Severide and Kelly with a kid, well, teenager, and it's an easy A++ for me. <laughs> yes, yes. We were so hashtag blessed because we got Severide, we got Detective Severide, and then we got Severide with kids, and we got Severide with April. Yes. Triple blessed yes man zach said the bond that he would have with dylan was something that i thoroughly enjoyed add in an april cameo and you get what i thought was a beautiful severide plot that also reminded longtime fans of the childhood friendship of april and severide yep 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 so last up right last up or do we have one other thing i'm forgetting we've cruise just that yeah that's so last up okay that's it last up we have cruise this was pretty funny I love the storyline. Yeah, this was really good. Okay, so Cruz reads a magazine article and he's like, okay, it is time to expand the Slamigan brand. Like, we're going to turn this into an empire. So he basically tells the, everybody, he's like, pitch me equipment ideas that you have that would elevate the brand and I'll pick the best one and we'll share in the profits. It's like Shark Tank, but Slamigan style. Love it. Yeah. So everyone presents their ideas to Cruz and they are hilarious. They're all terrible, but they're hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay so Cruz and Tony or wait Cap and Tony there we go Cap and Tony I know so they present what's called the hose hand so they're just like yeah like you know when you're holding the hose and your hands are always occupied like let's free them up a little bit and propose something called hose hands and it's this drawing of like this cartoon firefighter and he's basically holding two hoses with both hands you know what it reminded me of which is a reference that is probably gonna go right over your head um, the 2001 Super Bowl, which of course started in sync, best Super Bowl halftime show of all time, beside the point. Um, there's a point in it where like in sync basically had these like glitter shooting glove, not glitter. Um, they like these gloves that like they would press and like shoot sparks everywhere. I have um, no idea what you're talking about. Damn it. I am old. Aged myself twice. Okay. So what? Um, so the hose hands, I'm going to send Brian a picture and like clear this up. So there's hose hands. There's the kick axe that Gallo and Ritter present. 
again, hilarious. And just the way Gallo and Ritter like interacted on this was so funny. Okay, so the kick-ass, they're thinking it's it's literally an axe that's strapped to your boot. And so Cruz is like, yeah, it's a great name unless it's that. Is that what it is? And Gallo and Ritter are like negotiating. They're like covering their mouths and they're just like whispering to each other. Oh my God. Well, and then um, Gallo's like, yeah, we gotta do some more noodling. We'll be back. <laughs> like literally, it's just... It's so good. He's such a little cinnamon roll. Yes. Yes. Just, yes. Cinnamon roll, sunshine. They're just, mwah. So Mouch comes up with something called flash gear. Now with flash gear, I was like, no, but actually tell me what's wrong with that. Because that actually seemed like a good idea. So flash gear is like firefighting gear that's like laced with led lights or something it's like lined with them or something so that you know people are more visible during fires that seemed like a legitimate idea to me i yeah i don't know i don't i get yeah it also that design specifically kind of reminded me of the suits that they wear in endgame when they're going through it kind of it like kind of looks like that for a second also mouch's presentation was so fancy i was like how the hell did he come up with that while they're on shift (laughs) yes where does one get that like led light and projection thing i was like where the fuck does someone come up with that while on shift maybe he ran to like a walgreens got some sort of like cheap makeup mirror that ain't no cheap makeup mirror I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, then that's a good point. Where does he come up with that on shift? That's a really good point. Huh. Anyway. So uh, he keeps, he tells everybody, he's like, keep thinking, you know, but later on at Molly's after shift, they're all still pitching him terrible ideas. There's one that like, if you're not paying attention, you miss, but uh, he's, Cruz is talking, who's he talking to at the very beginning of the scene? He's talking to somebody and like that person walks away. And Gallo Mouch, and Ritter. Okay. He's talking to Gallo and Ritter. They slide away. Mouch slides in and literally all he says, he's like, don't you hate when you have to go to the bathroom on call? <laughs> <laughs> and Cruz just like, it stops right there. It's so funny though. It is. It is. And so later on, Cruz overhears Brett and Stella talking about how nobody considers a woman's body when they're designing firefighting gear. And he's just kind of like, all right, I got my idea. So he announces it to everybody. But when he shows off the designs, I mean, they're terrible. They're terrible. They're terrible. Um, I think one of them has like a flared pant. There's like flared pants. One of them is like an off the shoulder design where like. It literally looks like, um, have you seen Mamma Mia? Yeah. It looks like the Donna and the Dynamos like outfits with like, <laughs> it just, it looks like that to a T. So Stella and Gianna are like, yeah, you're going to need our input, but also just, like take over we're getting a share of the profits yeah and they just grab it and go i was like this is super cringy but also i think we found our halloween costumes yeah for sure yeah yeah so um as far as comedy storylines go that's a good one really funny just fire just does so well at the cop like every single for the most part all the comedy storylines are like great Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely so so good Megan said, I agree with Stella and Mackie. It's turnout gear for women. Don't you think that you should get a woman's input cruise? This should make for an awesome storyline in the coming episodes. I agree. Um, And Allie said something similar, like, is Cruz designing Halloween costumes or firefighting turnout gear? (laughs) I'm looking forward to seeing the storyline play out, though. The woman of Firehouse 51 working with Cruz to design new equipment would be awesome and probably hilarious. Yes. Yes. So good. 
So, any other notes on fire? Uh, nope. This was a funny one. It was good. It was good. It was good. Very solid. So, all right, it's PD time, and uh, you know, Brian is stretching out. I'm gonna do the same because I'm like, we're going from like comedy to like real serious. This is this is the struggle. This is the hardest part of One Chicago Wednesday is when it goes from fire into PD. This is literally the hardest part because it is such a giant shift in tone always. And especially for me, too, like we were lucky we got to see PD early, so it yeah. didn't have it wasn't the same thing this time around. But it always PD is also always so serious. And for me, it's at 10 p.m. And by 10 p.m., I'm like slowly starting to lose focus. And I'm like, what? It's just it's it's tough. This is a big episode for a couple of reasons. So Eric LaSalle directed this episode and this was actually his final episode to direct. And as executive producer, too. Yeah, yeah. He, he is leaving PD as executive producer and director. Um, I think he had the chance to, he's going to, he's got a book he's going to finish. And then I think he had his, he has, he's got some sort of development deal. Yeah, he's finishing the third book in his series, which I didn't even realize he'd come out with two other books. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's got some other cool things going on. So this episode is, I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's shocking. It's disturbing. It's thought-provoking yeah all of the above all of the above it's 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 shocking for sure so we start this episode with a bona fide oneer, a true run-of-the-mill garden variety oneer. um if you don't remember what a oneer is what were you gonna say Rena? i was gonna say but you don't realize it's a oneer. No, no. So what a wonder is, is it is a, it's a scene. It's a, it's usually a longer scene and it is all one take completely one take. Um, yeah. And so the only other example I have of this is the night shift did a seven page wonder one season, which ironically enough, that episode was also directed by Eric LaSalle. It was. Yeah. I don't remember that. Do you, but do you remember the one on on the night shift? Yes, but I didn't. I don't think I knew that it was directed by Eric Lasalle. Yeah, so so that's a one is quite literally, um, you know, one take. Everything happens in one go. Um, the movie nineteen seventeen is filmed as if it's a one One you know. fire just had a bunch of they. Well, they did a lot of things in one takes during the cruise in Herman nine hundred five. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Some of those acts were legit, like thirty minute thirty minutes long. They were full on oneers. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so the Wolf Entertainment account actually tweeted the behind the scenes of them filming this one I think I might have watched it like 20 times today. It's amazing. And it's I already, incredible. I loved the scene, obviously, because again, we got to see a screener. So I loved the scene from the first time I saw it, like last week. And I like loved it even more after learning that. I thought, I think that's so cool. I literally just thought it was like completely masterful editing. Yeah, I did too. And I was like, I love the way this whole piece, scene is pieced together. But like, yeah, now that we know that it's one take, I mean, it's incredible. Incredible. So so it starts off and basically everybody in intelligence, they're going through this like therapy session. So, you know, the, the therapist, she walks in with Ruzik and the camera pans around and now it's Upton and then it pans around again and it's Atwater and then there's Jay. And so it literally, I thought was like just perfect editing but then we saw in the behind the scenes that this was like a choreographed dance mm-hmm. like it's incredible so you and, and and the room where they filmed this had like hidden doors so in the behind the scenes you know um you see tracy behind the behind the camera right tracy's behind the camera 
Patty walks in and then the camera pans and Tracy waits for it. Then she sits down and then Atwater, or not Atwater, uh, Leroy follows the director another direction. And then Jesse comes in from a hidden door. Uh, I mean, the teamwork is just incredible. It's so cool. And then there's- It's just, it's so cool. It's, yeah, so cool. And there's a certain point where it, it goes from Patty to Tracy, but the way Patty's situated, he has to lay back and out of view of the camera. And so then at that point, you see Jesse slide in and Jesse just kind of puts his hand up like at the bottom of the camera. So basically Patty knows not to put his head above that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's incredible. It's so cool. It is so cool. Like, so, just so cool. I, I've watched it a million times and I don't even, I'm not I'm even. probably going to go watch it again after we're done recording. <laughs> it's incredible. I wonder how many tries that took though. I don't know, but yeah. So incredible. So it starts with this whole conversation of like, how do you like your coffee? And then it gets really deep from that, from there. Cause she basically just is like, so, you know, Hey, Ruzik, do you drink anything else aside from coffee? And he's like, no, I drink all the drinks. And right from there, she goes, have you really just used a racial slur? And he's like, uh, what? Yeah. And it goes pretty quickly. So the therapist, she's like, do you consider the police force your family? And Atwater says, well, my unit. And she's like, no, what about the rest of the police force? And he's like, no, like just, just coworkers, you know? So they get back to the bullpen and like Haley and Adam and, and Kevin, they're all just kind of like goofing off. They're just kind of like, well, what does my coffee order have to say about this? Whatever. Jay calls them to this other room that they're in and they find out that there has been an officer involved shooting. Not only was it an officer involved shooting, there is video of the whole thing. Start to finish, not filtered, not edited. You see everything. And so they watch it and they're horrified. And, you know, Kevin even asks, he's like, did the kid die? And Jay goes on the pavement. Like that's that horrible. The timing of this episode too. So, Derek Chauvin right now is his trial is beginning. Derek Chauvin is the the officer charged with the death of George Floyd, and his trial has currently begun. Um, I think the latest development as of today on Thursday is that the judge reinstated the third degree murder charge. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's crazy. It's the the timing is impeccable, and so um, yeah. So Deputy Miller basically tells Voight the logistics on this case. This kid was pulled over for going seven miles over the speed limit. Seven miles. Seven. Mm-hmm. Um, the kid never reached for the weapon that he had on him. There's no justification for the shooting. This kid fully admitted was like, I am armed. I have a gun in the car, but he never reached for it. He kept his hands where you could see them the whole time. So she basically asks for Voight to, she asked Voight to take two undercovers to make the transport. And is it Voight who says this or is it Samantha? Oh, it's Voight. Uh, Voight. Yeah. Yeah. So, or no, it's Samantha in that first line, isn't it? Yeah, it's Samantha. Okay. So she says, she's like, I know history tells us it's not something to step in, which is why I'm asking a unit I trust and I hope trusts me. So she says, she's like, I watched the footage 300 times, Hank, as, and as has the essay, and it's clear as the moment this ever comes, it was a bad shoot. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. It's a, it's a bad shoot. So Ruzewater, they go to Whelan's house to arrest him. They get him in the car. He's still, the, this guy is denying that he did anything wrong. Like he just says it over and over. He's like, I feared for my life. I feared for my life. I didn't do anything wrong. Ugh. So they get in the car, but as they're taking him to the district, Haley calls and it turns out that this, 
So the, the kid who was shot, he had a, an app on his phone that records everything. It, it just kind of automatically records and then sends it to emergency contacts. The video went viral. So there's death threats. It's bad. And they base, they have to go to a safe house is, is the name of the game. Um, they can't go back to the district. So they get to the safe house. Wheeler's still, or Wheeler's still denying any wrongdoing. He's just like, no, I was just doing my job. I was just doing my job. And he keeps pushing them to watch the video. This whole episode is basically Adam and Kevin telling each other not to do something and then them doing it anyway. Pretty much. Pretty much. Pretty much. much. So he's just like, yeah, watch the video. Like you didn't see the full thing. And so the full thing, air quotes, is even worse. Even worse. They watch the video. This kid had his hands up the entire time. Quite literally, it was an unprovoked shooting. Whelan just shoots him with absolutely no cause. None. Mm -hmm. So Atwater is about to confront him and be like, listen, like you keep saying you did your job, but you didn't. But as that happens, shots start flying from multiple directions. This legit scared me like horror movie style. I like jumped. Yeah, that is like some heavy duty weapons. Did you see the tweet um, about this for the, the fake gunfire that uh, mm-hmm. Wolf Entertainment sent out? So what they're called when they do fake gun gunfire, it's called squabs. Which and I didn't realize until last night, but I thought that was cool. I didn't either. So I guess they like pre-drill these holes um, and then they cover them and there's like material in there to detonate it so that when it comes time for there to be, you know, fake gunfire, they basically detonate them in a certain order so that it looks like gunfire. It's so cool. Yeah, so cool. So cool. I'm like, tell me more about all of this. This is incredible. Apparently for this episode, it took them two weeks to set all of the squabs. Crazy. It might have taken them longer to set the squabs than it did to actually film the episode. Probably. Like, it's incredible. Just so much work goes into this that we just don't think of. Mm -hmm. It's It's incredible. Incredible. So shots start flying. They get Wheelan out of there alive and Voight's like, okay, you guys need to find the location off-road where you can hang out until we figure out what the hell's going on. They go into a garage to kind of regroup and they think the hit was an inside job, but they're like, okay, you know, we're going to take Wheelan off book. So at this point, I definitely thought it was an an inside thing, but I also thought we, you meet Andre Cooper in this episode too, which he's going to come into play down the line. But at first I was like, well, this has to be his doing, right? I had no idea what I thought. I mean, it made the most sense for it to be an inside job. Yeah, I kind of thought that, but I was like, but who? It still didn't make like a ton of sense to me, but yeah. Yeah. So intelligence goes to the safe house to see what they can learn. Miller beats them there. Like Samantha's already there. And she just says, she's like, look, like my men are not going to bring Whelan in. Oh no, Hank says this, sorry. Hank's like, my men are not going to bring Whelan in if there's any chance that he or any civilian could take a bullet while en route. Like if you need to try and get me an order because of the political dirt we just stepped in, go ahead. And Samantha actually says, she's like, no, I'm here because I had you step in the dirt with me. I'm not giving you any orders. Whatever your call is, that's the call. You trusted me. I trust you. It's really nice to see a higher up like working alongside of intelligence instead of trying to throw a wrench in their plans. Well, and to recognize when, you know, because at moments like she has had the authority and like what she says goes, but Mm -hmm. like sometimes like, you know, she, she makes mistakes too. And like the fact that she recognized that like, yeah, I shouldn't have brought you guys into this. So like what you believe is what you believe and we'll go with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, yeah, I shouldn't have brought you guys into this. Like the fact that she's willing to own up to that is like different too. Yeah. So 
Um, they find this like abandoned factory of sorts, like Rosewater does, with like really cool green lighting. Side the point. But um, Whelan is still going on about how he did nothing wrong, and he's like, "I'm not the criminal here." And Kevin's like, "Well, who is the 19 year old blackhead you shot down?" And he's like, "I defended myself, like from a college student." And he's like, "I had the right to defend my life." And so this whole time this is going on, Ruzik is like, Kevin, like, come on, just let, let it go. go. Yeah, let it go. And so Whelan wants the cuffs off. This is something I was so glad that like they stuck to their guns on is that Whelan wanted the cuffs off this entire episode. And every single time I was like, please don't do it. Please don't do it. Please don't do it. They never did. Yeah. Thank God. Because things would have gotten a lot uglier. So Kev walks away and Ruzik lays it out to him. Ruzik's like, listen, we don't want you to get assassinated, but that doesn't mean that we think you're innocent. Like, we still brought you, we're still bringing you in on murder charges. Like, yeah, it's still murder. This was a very different side of Ruzik. Yeah. This whole episode. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they finally figure out the, who the first sh- shooter is. It's this guy named Raymax. His boss is TJ Jones and TJ is Jeff's half brother. Jeff is the 19 year old kid who was killed. So TJ runs a crew of hired guns and they basically think of themselves as the police of gangland. So Jay and Voight go pay him a visit and he won't come talk. And so Jay basically threatens to call all of his friends parole officers and he ultimately relents. But um, even when he's questioned, he still won't give up anything. TJ, that cop was being brought in on murder charges. You understand? Murder. The CPD is doing this one right. One thing I would appreciate is if you wouldn't call Jeff my half-brother. He was my brother. My blood. You guys were close. We understand that. But shooting at the cops, TJ? Not the right move. To get justice, even us cops have to trust the system. It's what we got. It's what you got. It's your system. Our system doesn't protect your neighborhood. So you do, right? I didn't say that. But trust the system? You willing to bet a half a billion on that instead of paying police misconduct bills? I think if you both looked at yourself, we'd know the same thing. Y'all ain't in my neighborhood camped out to protect us. Y'all only there to make sure we don't leak out into the rest of the city. But I shot no one. I never shot anyone. I don't even own a gun. You have nothing on me. So I'd like to go now. This is, this is really sobering dialogue. Yeah, I was gonna say, this is like one of the most powerful scenes of the whole episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially when he's like, it's what you've got, it's your system. Yeah. It, I, yeah, I mean, it's sickening to know that the system is skewed in such a way where it helps you based on the color of your skin. Yeah, well, and when he even says to, when TJ even says to, he's like, you know, like, I think if you both looked at yourself, like, we know the same thing. Like, you're not in my neighborhood camped out to protect us. You're only there to make sure we don't go anywhere else. Ugh. Yeah, it makes me sick. Same. 
Same. Yeah. So back at the factory, Adam is showing Whelan pictures of the shooter. They're trying to see if he IDs him. Um, and Whelan just keeps talking. And, and it's a lot of, you know, stuff that makes you really angry. It's not good. So he says, he's like, well, where I work, it's us versus them. We show up, they see an occupying force. Um, and he just keeps kind of egging Ruzik along. He's like, every time we show up, we start a bad relationship. You know why? And Adam's like, yeah, we're the city, secret thoughts and fears, dressed in blue with badges and guns. You know, my dad used to say the same stupid thing. And Whelan again is like, they just shot at me because I was doing my job. Oh my God. Like at what point does the job end and like the human part kick in though? Yeah, I think that is, you know, the question. And I don't, you know, I don't think there's obviously one right answer. And I don't, you know, I don't know what the right answer is to that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that, you know, that is the big part of this whole thing, debate. Whelan in this episode is doing what we see so many cops do time and time again, is he's trying to hide behind the badge. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, yes, Whelan just keeps talking and talking, but the thing that kind of honestly shocked me about this is he truly believed that he didn't do anything wrong like he was for sure convinced that jeff moved his hand a little bit looking like he was going to reach for his gun and that Whelan reacted to that like he was so convinced of that and it's like well clearly i don't think you've watched the video like i guess yeah. that obviously you're like when you go through something traumatic like that obviously you may remember things differently but like there is video proof of it if you watch the video, you can see that that is not what happened. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think even I think even the act of simply ending a life, it, it's, it should still be considered wrong in and of itself. Even if you're trained that your life is in danger, that it's okay to shoot, I mean, that should still be considered wrong. There should still be a part of you that's completely unsettled by it. Yeah, but I think some people, the only way they're going to get through being a police officer is if at some point they become numb to that like you don't i mean because like i think i think about it like jay or burgess like i mean they've all everyone in intelligence has killed somebody before Mm -hmm. many many times but like if they had that reaction every time when someone is truly coming for their lives of course yeah and their first reaction is to kill them then like or you know to shoot them then like they I, i feel like if your first reaction is to not make that a numbing feeling then like uh, how are you going to get through that every time true so it's true i mean i understand your point but like you know mm-hmm. yeah i think it's one thing to you know fear for your life end the life that was threatening you and then carry on and by carry on I mean like go to Molly's or you know continue to function but I think it's a whole other thing that Whelan's doing here where he ends up life and he's still defending himself over it yeah it's almost like he's boasting about it which he's not but he sort of is but that's what I'm saying he's so convinced that he did the right thing yeah and he didn't right yeah I mean yeah so back at the factory, or no, I'm sorry, back at the district, they basically figure out that, you know, 
Adam and Kevin, they were followed from Whelan's house to the safe house. And they, they're they also able to ping the second shooter's phone and go pay him a visit. And they find the second shooter and he's pretty much bleeding out on the couch. So while that's going on, Ruzwater talking and Ruzik just says that he wants to ignore him. And my heart, like... This whole scene is like really, as especially as like a white woman, like really tough to swallow, but it's so important important and necessary and i feel like we just need to play like all of it the whole audio yeah please i just please let's just ignore him stay calm why why am i keeping calm why are you so calm how can you just sit there with me listen to this man defend himself act like we didn't just see the same tape bro i we it was a bad shoot what do you want from me I'm just trying to get through this, okay? I just want to go home. I don't want to get involved in things that are above us. That's all. Let me tell you what we ain't going to do. We ain't going to say this is above our pay grade. We're not going to dismiss this man as one bad apple because we are in this. All right? We got to stop hiding behind... Hiding behind what? Being white. Being white? Really? You don't got to be black to know wrong from right. I never said that anything that that man did was right. Did you hear me say that? Think about what this white man did and how the next black kid is going to look at you the next time you go out I there. I know. I know, but I'm not doing this with you right Why now. Why not? Why not? We here. We might as well. We done been shot at, chased down, all while protecting the white cop that killed the black kid, and I got to live with that. Why not you? I got to be angry. Why not you? Because you're the good white cop that can't understand who has nothing to do with any of this? Is that what you're trying because to do? Because I don't. That's not me. What's inside of him is not inside of me, and you should be the one to know that. How dare you, man? I'm sick of you questioning me all the time. Why is it me? Why is it me that has to answer for this guy? Huh? Ask yourself that question. Oh, this hurts my heart. Oh, man. Yeah. I hate seeing a Rosewater fight but also needed it to be said yeah it's so hard with this scene because kevin is telling his truth but adam is also telling his mm-hmm. and there's just no good way to reconcile it yeah and it's one of those things where unfortunately i think two realities can absolutely be true at the same time and like yeah. they, they're not always gonna mesh, and that is where I, you know, the problems. Um, I think all you can do is recognize that is that like Adam has his truth and Kevin has his truth. Yeah, I and the first time I saw this, I was like, oh man, like what is happening? And then the first time I saw this, I kind of took this as. Kevin being so used to fighting the fight that he forgot who the enemy was. Mm -hmm. I kind of took it that way in that like, he doesn't mean to be lashing out at Ruzik. It's just happening that way because it's happened before. Um, And I took it that way. But on second watch, I was like, no, I think, I think Kevin might be calling Adam out. Yeah. On a blind spot. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. Yeah. That's what I think. Um, the thing that made me really think about this scene, though, is actually something that doesn't really have anything to do with this scene, is that 
like you just said, we've seen Atwater and Ke- or Atwater and Ruzik have these conversations before. Mm-hmm. And like while this was still very poignant and impactful and sobering and you know all the things, like why is it always Ruzik that we're having? Why is it always dialogue between Atwater and Ruzik? I mean, because they're best friends. But like at some point, I I feel like we kind of become it's like, oh, this is only a discussion between Atwater and Ruzik. Like, why aren't we having Atwater and Jay have these, you know, like why does it always have to be Ruzik that represents the white people in this instance? Like, not that it's losing any of its impact, because it's not, but it also feels like, okay, well, this is only going to be an ever something we d- explore with Ruzwater. And, like, at some point, like, I kind of would like to see what Haley has to say about it, or Jay, or I feel like we've kind of gotten maybe not full-out glimpses of Burgess, but obviously Burgess and Ruz, or Atwater at least had conversations re-Michaela, mm-hmm. and had kind of touched on some aspects of race a little bit. But like we don't ever see it with Jay or Haley. I we we touched on it for like two seconds in 901 with Haley. Like two seconds. Two seconds, and that was like one throwaway line though. Yep. Yep. And like, I mean, again, I don't I don't want it to take away anything from this particular scene between Atwater and Ruzik because it still does, you know, it it hits, it lands, but it it also made me think about the fact that like when Ruzik even says he's like why is it me that has to answer for this guy well why is it Ruzik that has to like represent the other even just the other white members in intelligence like why are we not seeing their perspectives on this I think in that instance it's just because Ruzik is in the situation with Kevin no yeah yeah, yeah. no I, I know I of course but I'm saying it only seems to be they only ever create situations for Ruzik and Atwater yeah, and I, I think the only reason the writers go, like the writers kind of default to that every time is because I mean, aside from the fact that they're friends, Ruzik is like the hothead of intelligence. He's the one most likely to kind of say it like it is and maybe sometimes say something that'll piss somebody off. And so I think that's why he's the go-to. Yes, and I agree with that too. But now like we've seen, like, based on Haley's throwaway line, like I don't know how Haley would have reacted. I mean, clearly I think they all think that this was a bad shoot, but like what does Haley really think about? Like, I feel like Haley would have reacted in the same way. Mm-hmm. If if you take Ruzik out and put Haley in this situation, I think Haley's saying the same thing of like, you know, like, let him go. Like, don't, you know, ignore him, blah, 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 blah. Like, I think Haley does the same thing. Yeah. I don't know what Jay does. Jay may do the same. Th- I don't know. I don't know. I just, it was like, again, it was something... Especially when Ruzik says, you know, like, why is it me that has to answer for this guy? Talking about just like kind of white people in general, like, well, why is Ruzik always the white person that we see having these conversations with that water? I think Jay reacts, I I think Jay reacts the same way as Ruzik in this situation where, I mean, I think any of them react in that way where they're like, Kevin, let it go. And it's just that they're speaking from a place of privilege where they have the privilege to let it go. Yeah. And I think that's what makes Kevin so angry is that Kevin is saying, he's like, you're in a position to let it go. I'm not. So get your head out of your ass and stop telling me to let it go when I cannot. Yeah. Well, even Whelan, after that whole scene, Whelan like goes on and pull the audio from that scene too. I feared for my life. You feared Jeff Duncan. You saw another black thug toting a gun. 
Oh, man, it had nothing to do with race, ever. It had everything to do with it. And Willen even says, he's like, you know, I feared for my life. And he's like, no, you feared Jeff Duncan. Like, you saw another black thug toting a gun. And Whelan's like, yeah, it didn't have to do with race. Like, it never has anything to do with race. And Atwater's like, it has everything to do with race. Mm-hmm. Because, again, like, Whelan comes from a place of privilege where he can say that, like, oh, yeah, that wasn't me being a racist. I swear it wasn't me being a racist. And Atwater's like, well, I'm not saying you're racist, but, like, you're. it does have to do with race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And after he sees the video, I mean, he's like, no, you altered it. Like, that's yeah and that's not it it's it's that Whelan lost empathy for the community he was patrolling he lost all of Mm -hmm. it and so he just didn't even hesitate he thought it was totally okay to shoot that kid Mm -hmm. with absolutely no provocation it's and, and I've said this before but it's it's the disregard for like the sanctity of life that just is just it just disturbs me like, and that's even with the real life instances that inspired this. I mean, it's just the disregard and it's the casual, it, it's how casual these cops are about like, just going to have to kill this person. Oopsies. Do you feel like that though? Like, I mean, we're kind of touching on this, but like, do you feel like that? Like when we watch just like, for lack of a better phrase, like a normal PD episode mm-hmm. and you see Jay like shoot someone you know what for whatever the search you know or Haley or whoever shoots someone because of the circumstances like do you feel like that still they're casual about it yeah um I don't think it's necessarily the character's fault I don't think I think knowing what we know about these characters I think Jay probably does take that home with him I think Haley probably takes it home with her too to a certain degree I mean I think all of them do I the we gloss over it though because it's a procedural and there are certain aspects of procedurals that I wish were a little different and the human component of it is one of them yeah I was just about to say the same thing like I feel like because it's television mm-hmm. and I'm kind of ashamed to admit this but like yeah like I sometimes I'm like oh okay like whatever jay shot the guy okay cool like he he has to go home with that on his conscience right but like i'm saying like i feel like ashamed sometimes admit that i'm just like okay you know like it because like you said it is a procedural it is television i'm like okay right like if it's not right in front of me and we don't see jay taking it home with him sometimes i even forget that like that's a thing i'm like okay they got the guy in custody he's dead or like you know whatever Mm-hmm. okay case cover we're done yeah and like i feel i do feel ashamed to admit that sometimes but like it's the truth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah uh, last summer opened my eyes to a lot of things yeah um yeah one of which being that i have a lot of blind spots as a white woman mm-hmm. um so i mean i can't sit here and be like this is what's wrong with law enforcement. I have no experience in law enforcement. I don't know. I don't know what it's like to be a police officer. I never will. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to discuss and it's hard to talk about. I mean, I think me personally, what I find is best is to just keep my eyes and ears open and don't talk and just listen. Yeah. And I think it's also hard too, because like, like you said, like I, 
think we both do have like have a lot of blind spots as white women mm -hmm. and I think we can do a lot of work and I think we both have to try to get as rid of get rid of as many of them as we can yeah but because we are white women like we'll never get rid of all of them like it's just that's that's just our privilege like yeah. we're never going to be able to get rid we're never going to get rid of all of them but we can try to get rid of as many as possible I was just thinking about this earlier, like how when back in my past life, when I was a barista, um, one of our regulars was a local cop, actually. And we I mean, we knew he was a cop, but we didn't know him as, you know, his name was Joey. We didn't know him as Joey the cop. We knew him as like Joey the regular who just happened to be a cop. And from then on, I was just like, you know, I and not that I ever was, but I mean, I just kind of always viewed the cops as like cool people I was like oh these are nice people like I don't have to worry about this and never once did I ever realize like wow that is a place of privilege mm -hmm. that like just because this one regular is super nice and friendly that you know I don't have to worry about cops because I know one like I think it's also the converse too though yeah of what you just said mm -hmm. is that also because you know not every cop is a bad cop but not every cop is a good cop either right right that just because someone's a cop doesn't mean they're good you know like we're conditioned to think but this kind of stuff that is addressed in this episode is very very real we've seen it starting with yep. i mean and, and it started way before last summer you know i um, mean i think publicly i mean it obviously started with trayvon martin but you had michael brown and ferguson um I'm even reminded of the incident that happened right here in my hometown um, with um, Botham Jean and Amber Geiger. Um, yeah, I, I had a friend who lived in that building. She, she was in that building the night that it happened. And I mean, it was as simple as, you know, Amber thought she had her, she, she thought she was on her floor. She wasn't. She went into the apartment thinking it was hers. It wasn't. And she shot and killed Botham John. And all Botham John was doing was sitting on his couch and eating ice cream. There, I mean, even if Whelan made a mistake, there are some mistakes in life you just cannot make. And that is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard. Like, yeah, because I mean, I know where I stand as a white woman in my place of privilege that, you know, I have a ton of blind spots and I have so much I need to learn. And so I don't want to speculate on how Kevin's feeling or how Whelan's feeling and come from a place of, you know, privilege or ignorance. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. So the way this ends, Brenda, do you want to take it from here? Sure. So we're back at the apartment where the second shooter was found and they're looking through his phone and they realize that there's a third shooter that's going after Whelan. Thanks to the tracking device we realized was placed on Atwater's car. So as soon as Atwater and Ruzik get the tracking device off the car, shots start being fired. And this third shooter turns out to be none other than Jeff's brother, TJ. And he basically is like, you know, I'll spare you guys talking about Atwater and Ruzik, of course, as long as they give him Whelan. 
And Whelan's like, you know, leave me here, leave me here, but like Atwater refuses. And so Whelan ends up actually pushing Atwater out of the way and TJ shoots the hell out of him. And Atwater tries to revive him, but, and he's like, you know, you ain't going out like that. It's too easy, but it doesn't do any good. He's, he's dead. So the last scene of this episode ends with Atwater and Ruzik and Voight at a bar. And Ruzik mentions that he gets, got his psych results back or whatever the heck that was, um, saying that he has an uncompromising loyalty to the police force that could be problematic. And Atwater said that he has a lack of trust for his fellow officers, which could also be problematic. And Voight says, you know, people are a thousand things, throw them in this job, like in the system, like one moment, blink of an eye, comes out, comes out, you know, like, how are you supposed to stop something you can't see coming? So then Voight pays for the drinks and leaves. And then Ruzik is going to leave too, but Atwater makes a comment about how Whelan believed that Jeff move. And he says to Ruzik, he's like, you know, Whelan didn't know he had it in him. Like, what if you can't see it coming? Oh, okay. I took that a couple of different ways. The first time I saw it, I was like, oh my God, is Atwater losing faith in, in, in Adam? But I don't think that's how he meant it. How do you think he meant it? I think he meant it in that, you know, Whelan had this impeccable record. Maybe Whelan was a good cop all of this time, but he had one moment where he fucked up. Yeah, and that's how. Yeah. That's how I think it's meant. Um, and I almost think it's meant as like a warning to Ruzik. Mm. That like, you know, I still do have faith in you, but like, you got to be careful. Like, you yeah. got to be way more careful because you may not see it coming yeah and that doesn't mean you're a bad person but like you may not see it coming and you still could have you know you could have had a moment like Whelan had like an open your eyes type of thing yeah I mean if he's having this conversation with Adam he needs to have it with everybody else in the unit yeah and that's kind of more my point that we were talking about earlier too is that like I do really appreciate the Atwater and Rusick stuff and I think they can get on a deeper level because of the friendship they have mm-hmm. like I know obviously with some of your closer friends you can get a little deeper on you know any kind of topic because that's just where your friendship is mm-hmm. um but like I do think it is important that we also see Atwater having the conversations with other people in the unit um and it also is kind of something I was thinking about too is that like when they ha- the fact that they only have well, as of right now, the one black character in the unit, it means all this stuff always falls on Kevin. Right. And so I'm hoping that when Cleveland joins, you know, we see Cleveland next week for sure. Um, I know we saw him like three, like very, like barely that I didn't even recognize him like twice when I first watched this episode. Um, but like when, now that he's a part of the, or will be a part of the unit, it'll like, I'm hoping we'll see maybe a more like, balanced for lack of a better word storytelling like he'll be able to tell a different perspective when it comes to some of these things had how he feels as a black cop and it won't always be on kevin yeah because i think that's important too yeah so yeah but yeah that is the end of pd Uh, yeah I, i mean yeah not enough words for this one but yeah 
Megan said, I'm slight, I'm siding with Kevin in this episode. So happy to see that he's back in the limelight. Hate seeing Rosewater fight and both made valid points, but Kev was in the right on this one. I know I'm super late to the game on this, but this episode is opening my eyes to what's really going on in policing and seeing the other side of it. Loved the Rosewater and Voight scene at the end. Yep. Yep. Um, she goes on to say though, that, which I think is interesting. She said something I really wanted to see them take on is the defunded police thing. Seeing lots of major metropolitan cities going this route and using mental health professionals to do what they were trained to do instead of police when the situation calls for it is making me happy. I know the writers of CPD can do this justice if they ever decided to go in this direction. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. That'd be an interesting storyline for sure. Mm-hmm. Take us through Allie. Allie said the streaming was kind of glitchy here in Australia, so I won't comment on some of the key moments since I probably missed a few important lines of dialogue and I don't want to misinterpret a serious topic. Overall, I think they tackled some of the big issues really well and the conversations happening were really thought provoking. Again, I would love to see some more personal, though this episode did feel much stronger than some of the other case heavy episodes we've had this season. Mm -hmm. However, I think they still could have even cut like one, two minutes of this case to briefly mention Michaela, upset Rojas, et cetera, without compromising the main point of the case. I got to disagree on that one. I think maybe not this specific episode. I understand her point, but I think maybe not this specific episode. No. No, I think other episodes. Yes, for sure not this one yeah yeah um zach said as a black man i was agreeing with everything that atwater had to say as whelan kept trying to play the victim and come up with bullshit excuses for what he did atwater wasn't taking any of it and i was here for it and he said even though they were so close to getting wheeler or whelan to the district and whelan did what he did to protect ruzik and atwater it was still upsetting to see him not face justice for what he did and the aftermath of Ruzig and Atwater at the bar with Voight was heavy, especially as they all talk about the results from their therapy at the beginning of the episode. And after that heated discussion between them, it was great for Voight to be there to keep things cool between Atwater and Ruzik. While this was an episode that tested their friendship, I hope this will be a temporary roadblock for them and that this only helps to strengthen their relationship. I mean, I hope it will. I mean, their their friendship is pretty strong. Yeah. Um. Samantha said, my hurt, my heart hurt watching Kevin and Adam fight this episode. It was hard to watch. Kevin was telling his truth and Adam was telling his. Both were valid perspectives. But Adam is Kevin's biggest friend and ally. And I hope he realizes that. And I hope the conversations they had in this episode don't put a permanent rift in their friendship. They both said some things, but I truly remember, believe it's going to take more than that to shake Ruzotter's friendship. I hope so. Um I really would have loved to have talked to LaRoyce after this episode because I have so many questions. Yeah. Yeah, LaRoyce or Patty for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I, I want to know what what does LaRoyce think this is going to do to their friendship? Yeah. I don't I know. know. This episode was unbelievable. It was, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Very, very strong. So any other notes on PD? No. So, yeah, um, that's about it for today. You guys know where to find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. It's me to some of these right across the board. Um, it feels weird to just leave that episode of PD and then just like segue right into our end. But um, yeah, I, you know, let us know what you think. Let us know if you have an opinion. If there are, let us know if there are any blind spots that we're not seeing. I mean, yeah. 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 yeah, we definitely want to continue to have this conversation. And sure. we want to we we want to be better allies. And yep. Yeah, what Gina said. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, meet us at Molly's right across the board. Email us anytime. Meet us at Molly's at gmail.com. Um, check out our tea public store. There's still a sale until Sunday for Pi Day. Go get your discounted merch. Um, if you like the show, which we really hope you do, please leave us a reading and review on iTunes. We would so greatly appreciate that. Follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina Watches TV. Bryna? I am at Bryna K13. Normal schedule going forward. That feels nice. Yeah, I think there's new episodes next. There's obviously new episodes next week. But then I want to say the week after that is a break again. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. That may not Maybe be. we'll use that week to record our Sex in the City episode. Yes. <laughs> um, speaking of that, if you want to support the pod for as little as $2 a month, please check out our Patreon page and you can see all the cool perks that we offer there. Um, in the meantime, yeah, everybody wash your hands, wear your masks. Um, yeah, well, we'll see you guys next week. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>